What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? How are you all doing tonight? Welcome to Faith Unaltered. I am your host, Tyler Fowler. And as you can see, we have a panel joining us tonight with Joshua Davison, Will Hess from the Church Split, and I'm just about to send Mr. Brian Bode an invite to hop on here with us. But as always with me, my handsome, handsome co-host david russell brother how are you doing? josh davidson no, <laughs> he's my former one he is very handsome <laughs> he is but he's my former co-host <laughs> and he's a no, good brother man i love having him around you know and i love that he's part of the team and i'm honored to actually know him i mean me and him have these midweek conversations on on facebook messenger about things just like random things and man it goes Y'all deep. been talking goes their deep. structure now we for, have for been a little, a little while bit. haven't you we, We've yeah. been challenging each other on some things. I'm trying to get to learn more about it, so I'm asking him questions, Absolutely. and then he will say something, and then I'll push back, and then it turns into, okay, what's this? And then he asks me questions like, I'm trying to learn about this, and then it just turns into something wild and entertaining This like really sharpens us, I think, as uh, brothers in Christ. And I could tell you that this week, and I think Josh, <laughs> just by – talking to you this week I, I know you've been through the rigor i've been through the rigor too like it started with josh and i think josh put pushed a little bit out onto me but we both <laughs> had some plumbing issues this week so uh we had we had a, a, a one of our drains in the house to stop up the main right so we had to get it cleared we had a plumber come in and i'll let josh tell his story but uh we had a plumber come in and then i get a weird prayer request from josh Hey, pray for me because of because of uh, plumbing. And I'm like, oh, OK. And I'm like, hey, we had a little bit of an issue the other day. But then Thursday, the day after Josh had texted me, mm-hmm. next thing you know, my wife's like, hey, our, our basement's flooding. So I was Dang. like, oh, geez. And I'm working 13 hours, 60 miles north from my wife. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to have to take a day off for this one. So I had to take off today and get it fixed and we ended up getting it so praise Good. god it, it, it the guy didn't charge us what he should have charged us so we got a break on that and so i gave him a bottle of wine <laughs> and a nice tip nice. uh because you know we make our own wine we just started a new one today tyler yep. we started a vonier pinot grigio i don't so, know what that means but sounds nice yeah. <laughs> two different types Fancy. of drinks in one and yeah we started it today so we were really excited about that that we we're able send to, it to me do that or it after. doesn't count <laughs> Ooh, hey, i can send you one man i've got i've got a i've got three Bro, that I did this year man. you got a stack of I'm gonna, wine I'm, bottles I'm gonna, okay so here's the thing we'll have five different uh uh wines made this year so we'll have about at least uh maybe 100 bottles of stuff we've made this year so yeah so yeah, it's it's a real fun hobby. It's great learning about the process, and and then you can tie it back to like biblical stuff. And it's like, hey, this is really cool. This is what they were doing all the way back then. Yeah, that's one of the bottles. Yeah, that's that was pre-label. Mm-hmm. So you got a pre-labeled bottle. So before we I made did. our labels, I we did. gave you a pre-labeled. I would now, what cut is this? At, what kind this of is this? this is the Pinot. That's the Pinot Grigio White okay. Cranberry. So it's Ooh, got white okay. cranberry. But it's super sweet. Wow. So if you guys don't want super sweet, if Haven't you wanna it. if you if you wanna uh just lighten it up with like a Pinot Grigio, it will cut some of that sweetness out and you won't need a dessert with it. You could actually drink it with 
uh, food if you hey, want to cut it. I'm all but about the sweetness. The anyway. sweeter, the better for me. Like, I do <laughs> yeah, well, we like got to dry wine. We got two uh, bottles sent sent to you, so so you should be. I know. Uh, what were they again? So one is the orange, uh, orange chocolate, orange chocolate dessert right? wine, and, dessert and then the water, other one's strawberry watermelon. And, right? Yep, that's what I got you. Nice. Yep, because he's oh. getting low on the strawberry watermelon, so you're gonna. Oh, it's so good. Pick it's that so up. good. I can yeah. see why. But I can make some for you too. So hint, hint. If you wanna me to make you guys something like <laughs> but anyways that's my week my week's been stressful i've been trying to catch up okay. on school i haven't been able to finish all that but what's really cool is that we're talking about one of the classes i'm in i'm in a soteriology master's class right now so with uh, dr layton yeah. flowers shout out with dr layton flowers yeah layton flowers is teaching be a master <laughs> and yeah so uh yeah it's pretty master cool so no kind of like <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> you wouldn't say that to his face, Tyler, and I've seen you on, online with him. Anyways, you haven't seen our first episode. Anyway, anyways, Tyler, I'm going to kick it back to you so you can make your introductions because we got a special guest. We do have a special guest. But first, before I get to Mr. Will Hess, I had an announcement to make, and I had kind of hinted at it a little bit uh, a couple weeks back. And so everything, I think, has kind of laid in place. God has very 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 well provided for me and so i think i am safe to go ahead and announce this but i actually start a new job on tuesday and so for those who uh for those who've been following you know i've been working in the rail car industry that has come to a stop now um there were some things that were happening that that is just it, it was i was i'll put it like this guys i was so overwhelmed with my job and my work that it was starting to affect not only my my uh, life with my family and my wife, really, it was starting to put some, you know, a little bit of unnecessary tension there. But guys, it was really starting to affect my spiritual walk. And so I was praying. I had prayed, um, is this the time, you know, to move on to something different? Or because that thought had, you know, had crossed my mind. And I just prayed about it. I, I put my app online, you know, and uh, and sent it to different companies. And lo and behold, somebody called me the exact same day that I put that application in, went down there, took a weld test uh, and got hired on the spot, really. So we had to uh, pass a drug a drug screen, background check, all the all the formalities, all those came back great. And so now I go to orientation this Tuesday. So if you all be please, please, please pray Amen, for me man. to get awesome. Yes, I, I'm excited. I'm, I'm going brother. back to Weldon. So I was in a in a supervisor management position, right? And so now instead of being a chief, I get to go back to being a little Indian, just welding, doing my own little thing. And so I'm really That's excited racist. to get back on there. What? How is that? <laughs> How is that at all? They're not <laughs> Indians. They're Native Americans. Okay. Look, Gosh. man. Oh my god. Don't make fun all of right. my heritage. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Look, okay. So here's the thing. So I know that trick. And I'm like 164th Indian, so I can say it. All right, I can say the I word. All right, we're gonna. Right, well, we, I got to a blood. fourth. When you get to a fourth, then you can talk. No, I'm well, I realize y'all were Elizabeth Warren, anyway. but okay. Anyway, yeah, we are. We're all like Elizabeth. No, I'm just that guy. Right over. Anyway, but Will Hess, how are you doing, my friend? So you are one of the co-hosts for the Church Split podcast and blog. But brother, I will just let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell folks who you are, what you're about, and uh, we're going to be talking about atonement theories tonight. So, yes. yeah, feel well, free to just take it away. 
Absolutely. My name is Will Hess. I've been in pastoral ministry for about 10 years, um, and I am currently serving at, as an elder uh, at Frontline Bible Church. Um, and one of the things uh, for us, we started this channel. I started it primarily uh, just, it was just me, and I was just going to talk through various controversial issues because I experienced church splits as a pastor. Mm. Uh, it was very nasty. People were very, I mean, I'm telling you, people showing up at 6 a.m. To, to tell my wife how, how much they hate me. Uh, and then, um, uh, like, I also had to be a whistleblower on a sexual abuse scandal. There's just been so many things I could oh, talk about, man. Wow. Um, and so it really was like, man, I just want to talk about these issues. Like, just talk about them in a very real and forward way and biblically and just kind of walk through it. Yeah. Um, but I'm a garbage writer. Uh, at least I, I don't like my writing style, even though I have a blog. <laughs> so um, I was like, I just like to do a podcast. I think I'm better spoken than I am a writer. So mm -hmm. I took the deacon at uh, deacon and my best friend, uh, Brian Bodie. Um, it's his name is deceiving. It looks like Bode, but it's Bodie. FYI. My apologies. Uh, no worries. Everyone does it. I did it too. Uh, Fair so enough. He just needs to get a better name. But anyhow, put um, like a little like a, a, a little on there to yeah, let a little, us know. Little yeah, little kcha. People might be like Bodet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but then at least he sounded refined because he's not. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so then we start this thing. But he just wanted. He was like, "Hey, I'm gonna. I, I have equipment. I can do that. I'll be your editor. That's it." And I was like, "Oh, but Brian, you and I have such good conversations." So over yeah. about the course of a year. I got him to become my co-host. So uh, now Brian and I, uh, it went from a very kind of serious show. Like, hey, hey guys, let's talk about this. Let's talk about issues that split your church. And now we've completely changed our intro. It, now we are simply the church split that helps you learn to think biblically, challenge the status quo. And that is kind of just what we do. We're all about challenging the status quo and escaping echo chambers and discussing things. Um, so that's what we do. We talk about, uh, I'm, a, I'm an apologetics nerd. I'm part of the Talk About Doubts team. Um, you know, that's just a big thing for me. I'm a big apologetics guy, but we mostly focus on theology as of right now. So that's what we're doing. Uh, that's wow. the church split. We uh, cover a range of topics, and we usually have very long videos because when we dive in of, uh, into something, we want to dive in. So, yeah, wow. follow apologetics is great. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm huge into it. Yeah, um, big stacks of it. Uh, so I have, um, yeah, let's see. I just, oh, yeah. So oh, you can all, that's what I was going to do mentioned to you guys. You can follow mm -hmm. us at The Church Split on all audio platforms or on The Church Split YouTube page. And you can also go to thechurchsplit.com. There you have our merch and uh, my blog series. And my blog series deals with the atonement, which brings us to where we're at now. I also have a, uh, an atonement series um, yes. on my channel. And yes. you can go check it out there as well. And it's very much what got me in trouble with a very particular group of people um, because I don't hold to penal substitution. So I think we, though we will we'll explore these as we go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I am definitely excited to have you here tonight with us, Will. And uh, let's, uh, Josh uh, or David, if you guys want to, uh, to say anything else before we get started, uh, feel free. Well, no, you know, I was going to say that's awesome, man. I'm glad that, you know, you started in one area and then you're branching out. I mean, that's how these go. Uh, we started out with just, uh, you know, conversations coffee cup apologetics you know between atheists and uh theists and then we branched out you know and that's kind of like how uh pra growed and that's where i met tyler and tyler me and tyler were like hey we need to do this and i think that's where i i ran into your channel at first was was when you had brad and seamus on against uh you know the black doctor and those guys you know and that's 
that was like, wow, this is really good stuff. And, you know, I'm glad you guys branched out because I probably wouldn't have found your channel otherwise because, uh, you know, there's a lot about church splits that I think we could probably learn from you, you know. So that's that's awesome. I'm glad that, that you're here with us right now to, mm -hmm. to talk about atonement, even though, you, you know, I hope you don't become monolithic in your view of atonement. But no, just, uh, but uh, uh, I, I am remiss because we didn't let Josh give a quick intro and I kind of like you know, set it up to where, you know, Josh had some plumbing issues too. And he dealt with poop this week, guys. He dealt with poop. Let's hear so about your let poop, bro. <laughs> uh, my, the, the poop was crappy. I gotta say it was not. A, <laughs> uh, so when Wednesday ended up, uh, I, I'm the, I'm the maintenance per, by the way, it's nice to meet you, Will. And I just subbed to your YouTube channel. So there you go. Thank you. Um, uh, if you, if you'd like to return the favor, mine is uh, complete sinner's guide. You can like and sub that, sub that channel also. Um, but, but yeah, so, so Wednesday I, I did have also a plumbing issue, but it was larger, let's say in volume than, uh, a normal residential issue because I'm working as a maintenance personnel for, uh, six facility buildings for the Bay area rescue mission in Richmond, California. And our, uh, graduate building slash overnight men's homeless shelter building, uh, had a mainline clog as well in the drain that went all the way to the street uh and none of the equipment that i had was sufficient to deal with that though i had to stop it from like flooding worse um so we were basically down like six showers um five toilets and two urinals and all of the sinks in the building and a washing machine like almost everything that we need in order for that place to run smoothly for you know a lot of guys that stay there They're between the program and the overnight shelter, the, 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 just the, the people who are homeless who need a place to stay temporarily, uh, between those two things, there's quite a, there's quite a few men that stay in that building and rely on all those things. And so the pressure was on, it's just, it was, it was not only unsanitary, but it was very stressful. And I was very thankful in the moment that a plumber could arrive with better equipment than what I was able to work with. Cause I'm just not, I'm not a plumber. Like even before I was a maintenance guy, I was an electrician. So I was not, I've never been a plumber. Uh, and, uh, I'm firmly convinced now that all plumbing issues are of the devil. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm not, not now, now that I'm, I'm, you know, finished the week and everything, I, I feel really comfortable. I feel really accomplished that like that the shelter didn't go down. Nothing. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're, we're in the clear, but so, so Josh, you dealt with mini men's poop and I only, yes, our own. Yeah. <laughs> there's actually, there's actually 48 beds in our overnight oh, shelter. Gosh. They so all use the same bathroom. You weren't lying about unsanitary. Bathroom. Yeah. There was, it's a big dorm bathroom and they all right use on. the same Ooh. facility and uh, it was sharing the pipes with the plumbing for the uh, upstairs showers for all the guys who have graduated the program, as well as the giant commercial size washing machine that we use to <laughs> wash all of the clothes and linens. Yeah. And uh, it just so happened that as it clogged, there was a guy taking a shower upstairs and the washer was finishing its rinse cycle. Oh, and all no. like probably 10, 15 gallons of water just spewed out of the floor drain oh. all at once. Yeah, it was disgusting. Oh, it was really and, gross. And you know, there's a lot of prayers that went up for Josh this week. So, yeah. Dookie that went up for Josh. <laughs> <Sorry, but. laughs> it did come up. Yes. Anyways, I, hey, let's turn it back to Tyler. Tyler, why don't you get us started on on this uh, with Will, so we can. Uh, well, I, so given given the church split, Will, I do want to ask you a question before we do dive in. Is this a is this a um, a topic 
that causes a lot of splits within the church that you've ran into personally or have heard stories about? Um, actually, so funny, I have not heard this particular topic splitting many churches, okay. mainly because the Catholics have their view, mm -hmm. uh, the Eastern Orthodox has their view, and then evangelicals pretty much have one mainstream view. So not a lot, and not a lot of people question their view on it because it's always wherever it's at is just preached as gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, so they e literally will equate this with the gospel. Like I've been told mm -hmm. I preach a totally different gospel and I was like, nope. What I did was I was adding to the gospel my atonement theory, and I'm not saying it doesn't impact, but the gospel and the atonement theory, that the machinations of the gospel is very different than the gospel itself. So how, right. same with soteriology, right? Like soteriology, there is a machination of how salvation works, and everyone can argue the machinations, but bottom line is everyone's saved. So, um, however, since I came out uh, as like a ransom slash Christus Victor moral influence recapitulation guy, um, I've been called a heretic by the one and only James White by name, which was a lot of fun. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah. By name. That's yeah, all cool. you got his attention. Yeah, it's like, like winning an Oscar. Well, if you want his attention, <laughs> review his book. And uh, to quote my uh, co-host, uh, Brian, on The Potter's Freedom, he said it is, quote, the worst piece of Christian literature he thinks he's ever read. So, um, and here, this was coming from somebody like me. I was like, okay, I don't hate white and everything. I have like a 50-50 kind of shot with him. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we, me and my friend David Palman did a five-part review or four-part review, and that definitely he, got his attention. <laughs> yeah, he was my co-host for PRA for a long time. Yep. Yep. Oh, Palman nice. was. Yep. Yep. Yeah, good yeah. friend of mine. Yeah, good yeah. guy. He's that awesome. Is, and a David and a David on a show that can't be confusing at all. Yeah, it was both Davids. Yeah, we we did it for a while, <laughs> a long while. Yeah. Yeah. So David's good people. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's that's what, what happened there. Um, been uh, called a heretic by many other people um, because of my atonement views, which is actually kind of nuts when you think about the fact that these really are just theories. Mm -hmm. And they're theories that people hold to, and they just don't know it. Right. Because exactly. here's the thing. Here's what I'm going to say just right off from the get go. We are going to be discussing different atonement theories tonight. And the fact of the matter is, after actually doing some research, some uh, and it didn't take I'm not talking about a deep dive, y'all, like just listening to the first episode in your atonement uh, uh, in your atonement series. Right. Like you, you had even mentioned to your congregation that y'all probably hold to different parts of these or even in different degrees, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And bro, like out of the seven, possibly eight that we're going to be discussing tonight, there's only one that I don't hold to. And that's the scapegoat one, right? The scapegoat uh, theory of the atonement where Jesus is a victim. But if we have time, we'll dive into that. But yeah, so I do. So just for our audience, we are going to be diving into these different atonement theories. Now where Will and I do kind of differ at I mean, we, we do differ here is I hold to PSA, right? I do hold to a penal substitutionary atonement. Most non-Catholic or, or Orthodox Christians do. I right. don't hold it against you. You're just, you're just wrong. Well, I'm hoping by the end of this, I can maybe get you thinking about it a little bit more. But, but with that being said, <laughs> brother, I love you. And so I want to start off with a quick definition of just what in the world atonement really is, right? What, what are we talking about whenever we say atonement? And so I have a quote here from Theories of the Atonement uh, from Robert McIntosh. And Will, I want to get your opinion on what, uh, what this guy says uh, whenever it comes to this. So he says this, quote, The primitive theology of the early Christian church expounds and defends Christ's death as a sin offering, or even when it does not reach an explicit utterance, 
for example, in the Petrine speeches, that it is its native tendency. Isaiah 53 and the words of Christ at the supper make this inevitable. And so what he goes on a little bit further uh, with that quote, but basically what he is describing is whenever it comes to, to Christ's death, they, the early church, the apostles, they primarily, now granted there were some different you know, things and different aspects of the atonement that they did hit on, that they did talk about. But the primary thing was a sin offering. Will, do you agree with that, disagree with that? And if so, why or why not? No, I'd actually agree that agree with that. I just think a lot of people misunderstand what a sin offering is. So, Fair enough. Um, but yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And then I'd say the early church primarily focused, especially Irenaeus, when fighting against the Gnostics, focused on Christ as a victor over death and the forces of darkness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So well, origin, well, origin had just ransom. Okay, that was his thing. All right. Yeah, and Augustine also, uh, Augustine right. also affirmed that, which is funny because we say that um, a, a, a lot of Reformed people are like, oh, Augustine, like you know, Calvin said that he could write an entire confession of his faith by only quoting Augustine. But it's funny because now ransom theory becomes a heresy in so many circles. Meanwhile, Augustine actually held to it too. So. Uh, <laughs> he he had a little modification, but I'll do some modifications probably tonight too. I've actually deeply dove into this deeply. I wrote like a six part blog series on it. I've done a lot of teaching on it. I'm actually currently working on a book, a popular level book on it. Um, we'll see. Well, you got to do more, man. Come on now. Yeah, that's, that's not even enough. <laughs> this was one of those things. Once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it, and I realized that it also the amount of books I've had to read on this. And I'll say this to anyone who's listening: the amount of books I had to read on this were you, most of them were very technical, old, and historical, and very difficult for more normal people. So that's why I'm trying to write a popular level book on the topic, um, uh, explaining a different view than penal substitution, because I think there's not a lot enough of that where a, an average churchgoer who works a nine to five with five kids could pick up and just read it and go, okay, I get it. <laughs> right. So awesome. Right. I can't wait. I want a signed copy, bro. I'll get you one. Once now, is, that, is that the work that you're working on with Ian? Forgive me if I missed that. Yep, um, that okay. is correct. Me and Ian Renwick are working yeah. on that together. Um, he's, he's, uh, he adds like a little uh, parts of the Greek culture and whatnot throughout. Um, okay. But uh, yes, we we are co-authoring that. He keeps warning me he's going to do an info dump in, in our document, but he hasn't yet. So that's an issuing challenge for Ian to get on it. Oh, there you go. We had Ian on uh, a couple of episodes ago talking about mid-ex dispensationalism. And so if you want, man, if you want to talk about an episode that brought some hate with it, that was one of them for sure. So not a lot of people <laughs> like mid-ex, mid-ex dispensationalism, but, but regardless. And so, okay, so let, me, so let me ask you this then, Will. You said that not very many people understand what a sin offering is. How would you define a sin offering uh, in light of the New Testament use and, and how they view Jesus uh, with that? So the first thing is, is that you have to understand to think like a Jew, a first mm-hmm. century Jew. Um, and what the Tanakh t- refers to as a sin offering. Mm-hmm. So um, when we're talking sin offering, we normally think of something like, oh, this thing takes the punishment for me, and it takes and it, uh, God satisfies his wrath of some sort on it. I offer this up to God. Uh, my, my sin is transferred to it because it's a sin offering, and then uh, the wrath is poured out on it because it dies. Death equals wrath in that sense. Um, so therefore, uh, it's offered to God as a sin offering, at, but 
that is thinking like a Westerner with PSA, uh, with like PSA and like some medieval theology impacted in there. If you uh, historian, gotcha. and this was what's mad blow mind blowing to me. Actual historians have addressed this many times, and I'm just surprised how many theologians haven't accepted this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it tells you it tells you that there's a there's a break in theology versus history. And if your history, if your theology doesn't reflect history, there's usually probably a problem with your theology. And um, so. What a sin offering is in a Jewish context is first off when they put the hands on the on the sin on the sin offering I should say it this is what they call a smicha which is mm-hmm. a representative so it, in other words this creature represents me now it's not saying that it my sin is transferred to it it is not saying it's receiving any wrath it says this creature represents me however this one is without blemish. So it is offered up and it is perfect and it dies. And that death represents the death that I inherit because of my sin. However, because it's an offering, it means it is completely consumed. And what the whole point of the offering system was to take something valuable and lift it up to God and thanks to him. So in other words, I am thankful I get to live even though my fate should be death. Uh, and it represents me. It isn't me. It doesn't have its wrath poured out. It doesn't satisfy any anything like that. It was just a ritual to show that. Does that make sense? As yeah. And you can see where, and because and in the Jewish mind, death is not necessarily a direct punishment from God, but we'll get into that as we go. It's just one of those things, once you see that, you go, oh, so it's something that's a value offered up and going, wow, it died and I didn't. Um, and my sin deserves death, which is what this is. Because if you think it's all these offerings are dealing with wrath or satisfaction, you're really in a weird position when you get into some of the other offerings, like a wave offering, a waving offering, where they wave things in the air, uh, or when they burn crops. Like, is a crop supposed to it re- it receive wrath? Uh, no, these were all actions of thankfulness, the idea of giving your best to God and, and a thing, in a moment of thankfulness that you get to live as a sinner. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. So, I, and I, I'm glad that you brought up the whole um, putting the hands on the head of the animal. So, for example, and I think Ellicott uh, here uh, lays out an interesting definition because after doing research into this, and Will, you can you can comment on this if you want to, but there wasn't really a monolithic view of the Jewish like understanding of this concept, right? So, for example, Ellicott says, putting them on the head of the goat. By this imposition of hands, Uh, and the confession, the high priest transferred the sins of the nation to the goat. He then turned to the people and declared, ye shall be clean. And from what I read of, I believe it was Pliny, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he had actually made a distinction because there's different uh, offerings, like you was talking about, you have the sin offering, the wave offering, and in some of those rituals, one hand's placed on there. The other rituals, for example, this one, right, especially on Yom Kippur, both hands were placed, and I'm pretty sure it was Pliny, and I could be corrected on this, um, but he had mentioned that if it's two hands, then it describes one aspect. If it's one hand in another ritual, it describes something completely different, right? And so is that kind of how you would see that as well, or go ahead. The only thing I would say is no, it would be a sin transference. Okay. Um, uh, sin. I actually don't believe sin is transferable. I think that goes against Matthew. I'm uh, not Matthew. Uh, Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18. Um, where it says, you know, the 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 sins of the father will not be put, placed on the son, and the son's sin will not be placed on the father. So it's not transferable. Your sin is your own. Um, and that's a big Jewish concept. So yeah, uh, if you get into 
um, a lot of like Orthodox Judaism. And if you read a lot of the concepts there, uh, and also N.T. Wright and Bird have also pointed out that the idea of, of satiation or sin transference is actually foreign to uh, a lot of views of Judaism. Um, I think some of it has trickled in in modern stuff due to our uh, due to probably some Christian possible influence, things like that. But when you the further back you go, it's like, oh, that's not what that means at all. And one thing I, I invested in, which was useful, uh, is a is a chumash, a stone edition chumash. A friend of mine, Seamus, actually purchased it for me and sent it to me. Nice. And when you read it from a Jewish perspective, and then you look into some of the, the what the historians say, you start realizing that, oh, I think. Christianity, some Christians have misunderstood some of these things. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that it debunks penal substitution. Of course. Um, uh, that It's not saying that. It's just you have to be careful not to insert concepts where they don't exist. Of course. Uh, of course. Absolutely. 100% agree. So before we get into now different views of the atonement, guys, is there anything that you want to add to, uh, to just the basic definition of a sin offering? Or, David, I saw you unmute there. What's up, brother? Yeah, well, you know, I was going to ask, you know, I mean, there's obviously not just one monolithic view here. So, I mean, could it be, and I know we don't, may, we may not have evidence for this, but m maybe there's this idea uh, where these other ideas come into place that, you know, there is more going on here, right? There's more than uh, just... Uh, sin transference so to speak but the nature of sin itself distorts the uh the you know the person so much that yes god's wrath will be poured out so it doesn't leave us with this monolithic view like okay it's just victory in christ or or whatever it's actually yeah it's, it could be penal substitution it could be part of the satisfaction theory uh theory could be part of the christus victor you know all these things can come in together and you know, be displayed. They're different aspects, but the same thing is going on. You know, Christ is atoning for all these different things, just like sin is defined. And I mean, if I'm just going to say, yes, yeah, sin is lawlessness, you know, uh, yeah, I have a problem there too, because, you know, you know, there was no law when the, you know, Abraham and Noah did their thing. There was no written law there, but you know, it, you know, it, it does present that problem. So could there have been some sort of minority view that came along and said, hey, yeah, this does satisfy not only uh, this aspect, but it also satisfies this, this, and this. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not as black and white. Yeah, as, it's not it, monolithic. It, as it, it is it, in, the atonement is, is more. Yeah, like the, like the atonement is more diverse. It's not just one thing. It's not just Christus Victor. It's not just satisfaction. Oh, yeah. It's not just. Uh, moral influence. It's not just this. It could yeah, be most all of them are emphasizing various truths, right? I know yeah, Josh, that's what I'm thinking. Josh Sherman Sherman wanted to join us tonight, and he makes some good points there. You know, the scapegoat is the only one that mentions like sin, possibly possibly even being transferring. Um, and also keep in mind that all those sins, th things like that, were for unintentional sins, like even sin offerings, if you look at it, it's for unintentional sins, mm. which would make uh, Christ's sacrifice unique as it, it would be dealing with also intentional sins, right? Um, also, I just want to make sure I emphasize him in the, uh, in the chat here, and that's exactly my point. Uh, even the scapegoat, where if we say sin was transferred to the scapegoat, it's not killed, mm. okay? It's not killed, but transferring sin to an animal whose blood you're now about to use to purify 
uh, would be counterintuitive because now that blood would be stained with that sin. So it doesn't, it, 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 so that's why I'm saying like that doesn't make sense to it. So um, yeah, uh, and also uh, Junior McDonald, yeah, you could def definitely look into that. It'll be really interesting uh, for you. Uh, Seamus, who is a pretty big Jewish historian nerd, uh, was like, "Will, well done on this." I'm like, "Hey, <laughs> when when Seamus gives me a historical high five, I feel really good about myself." So. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. All right, guys. Well, let us go ahead and transition into the first, if I can scroll up here fast enough, uh, the first uh, theory that we have on the table, and that is the moral influence theory. So let me give a, a brief background of this concept, and then Will, if there's anything else that you would like to add, brother, please feel free to take it away. So one of the earliest theories for the atonement is the moral influence theory, which simply taught that Jesus Christ came and died in order to bring about a positive change to humanity. This moral change comes from the comes through the teachings of Jesus alongside his example and actions. The most notable name here is that of Augustine from the 4th century, whose influence has almost single-handedly had the greatest impact upon Western Christianity. He affirmed the moral influence theory as the main theory of the atonement, alongside the ransom theory as well. Within this theory, the death of Christ is understood as a catalyst to reform society, inspiring men and women to follow his example and live good moral lives of love. In this theory, the Holy Spirit comes to help Christians produce this moral change. Logically, in this theory, the eschatological development, too, becomes about morality, where it is taught that after death, the human race will be judged by their conduct in life. This in turn creates a strong emphasis on free will as the human response to follow Jesus's example. Although Augustine himself differs here in that he did not teach free will, but instead that human beings are incapable of changing themselves and require God to radically alter their lives sovereignly through the Holy Spirit. This theory focuses not just on the death of Jesus Christ, but on his entire life. This sees the saving work of Jesus, not only in the event of the crucifixion, but also in all the words he has spoken and the example he has set. In this theory, the cross is merely a ramification of the moral life of Jesus. He is, the cruci he is crucified as a martyr due to the radical nature of his moral example. In this way, the moral influence theory emphasizes Jesus Christ as our teacher, our example, our founder and leader, and ultimately as a result, our first martyr. And I just want to say just right up front, the very thing that I agree with most whenever it comes to this concept is that it the atonement, and I, I hold this wholeheartedly, that the atonement is not just dealing with Christ's death. This is the everything Christ did, his life, his death, his resurrection, his mediation for us even right now in the heavenlies, right, as our intercessor, as our high priest, right? All of these different things impact and, and, and uh, contribute to the atonement. Will? Yeah, so the moral influence theory is obviously true to one degree or other. Um, mm -hmm. And it was actually written in response to Anselm's satisfaction theory, uh, which we're probably going to get to here in a little bit. Um, Anselm wrote a theory. Uh, his his uh, satisfaction theory was in response to ransom theory, so that was popular. Um, so interesting uh, theory, by the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, which I will get into because I do yes. affirm a large portion of it. Okay. Um, so uh, moral influence theory is uh, 
was because of, nope, 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 uh, Anselm, you got it wrong. Uh, and this was by a Abelard. Um, mm -hmm. I hope, and so he's the one who started this. I uh, There's an interesting video that you find on YouTube. It's, like, it's not very long, uh, but it describes it like uh, there's a late, let's say, um, there is uh, a girl who is just absolutely, let's just say, very homely looking. Um, she's not very attractive. She's hideous. Uh, and this guy comes up and he wants to marry, but he marries her pretty sister because he looked at her and was like, wow, you are, wow. <laughs> you are gross and horrible. And then later on, 10 years later, the man comes back and he knocks out his friend's door and open, it opens up and there's this gorgeous, beautiful woman standing there. And he goes, well, uh, who are you? And she goes, oh, I'm so-and-so. He goes, what? You don't look like her. And it's the same girl who was once ugly. And then uh, when he when asked about her radical change, she said, well, uh, you know, she points to her husband and says, well, he showed me my true worth. And the whole point was that once someone invested in her and showed her her true worth, and he went through great lengths to win her love, despite how ugly she was, that this was life changing for her. Um, so that's kind of the idea of moral influence theory, which is the fact that once you saw his great morality and what he was willing to do to win, uh, to atone for us, that that would move us to respond positively because of how good he was and what he was willing to endure because he loved mm. us. So when you have, so yeah. it's that, that example helped to make it click for me because I'd read things and it felt very vague. And once I understood that, I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> right, right. So, so if anybody's wondering where you can find this concept in scripture, actually, 1 Peter 2.21, I think, really nails this aspect down. And Will, if there's any other passages that you can think of, feel free to share them, brother. Uh, but so I'm reading out of the NET, uh, the New English Translation. And to, uh, 1 Peter 2.21 says this, For to this you were called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. And I think that summarizes the moral influence theory in and of itself right there. Boom. You know what I mean? Yep. So is there any other passages of scripture that, you know, just off the top of your head, Will, that, that you would uh, address when discussing this view with either someone on the side or, or even with your congregation? Uh, not nothing in particular. Um, okay. I think Peter first. Yeah, I think that reference is great. Um, yeah. I, there's plenty of them. I mean, it's they're all over the place yeah. in Paul's epistles as he suffered. Remember him as you suffered, you know, the God of all grace. After that, you have suffered a while will strengthen and establish you. And he compares that to the crucifixion of Christ. Right. Um, and that's what we get all the time. Think of what he did for you. Think of what he did for you. That is just all over the epistles so it's just it's hard to say like oh i mean you could easily look it up it's not that difficult uh but nothing right. off the top of my head but you fair enough so here's what's funny is i'm really good at concepts uh -huh. and really good at like i could do philosophy concepts and arguing but when it comes to references your boy struggles every time <laughs> i could quote i could actually quote verses verbatim too uh -huh. but then it's like where's that i'm like i think it's in peter <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. Right. right? <laughs> that is Peter. <laughs> Josh, is there anything that you would like to add, brother, to that, to the moral influence theory? Um, I, I, to be honest with you, like, I'm I'm a very, like, more visualized kind of person. Um, mm -hmm. I do well with uh, visual learning, and, and I, I think in pictures more often. Uh, and, and everything that was being explained really brought to my attention, um, like, like, the atonement viewed as a as a display of God's love and the call to us to be a mirror for that display. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's what I think is, is kind of what, what, like for me that that's what would have made sense of, uh, of all that information to kind of think like, okay, 
um, if if God, did, like you said, if God was willing to do all of this for me, and it speaks of His manner of of devotion and allegiance toward a cause of His own choosing, and He's fully invested, both hands are in, right? He's mm -hmm. fully invested. Then the question becomes something like, shouldn't I be fully invested? And that would bring about in me. And I think that this is actually something um, that I've never really considered as an atonement theory, but definitely mm -hmm. felt is integral to explaining the gospel uh, and the emotional response that it often elicits from people. I can see that in action sure. a lot of the time, um, especially if you're a really passionate person. Um, and, and you're, I, I'm a very emotive person in general. And so when I'm talking to somebody and I get passionate about something, okay. it often displays in my face, in the mm -hmm. volume and, and intensity of my voice, things like that. And so, um, people are kind of, let's say designed to mirror that function. Right. And so if I'm passionate and I'm explaining these things and I'm preaching the gospel, it's almost as though that's integrally party part of what it is that you're doing when you're explaining the gospel to somebody and you're let's say reliving in your own emotions right now the love that you had the first love right um coming back to that that feeling that you had when you first had that aha moment you're like, yes wait for me me you're sure me you know what i mean and then saying like no it's it's for you too you're talking to the person it's for you they hear this and you see it and you hear it in their face and often it elicits tears and things like that. It's like, I feel like that's kind of what we're talking about, but like in action. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, my uh, yeah, my well, co-host Brian said that it brought, once the, the atonement clicked when him and I had a lot of conversations about it, he said they were singing about it in church and uh, it, it almost brought him to tears and he's not an emotive person. Neither am I, I'm just loud. Well, you know, facts don't care about your feelings, Josh. So, <laughs> but my feelings care about the facts. There you go. Ah. There you go. There you go. But do zing. Now, Touché, sir. so I did see. So, whenever it comes to the moral influencer, and I think this is so, this is key to what Will and I were talking about a while ago. Right before we even started, we said that it's important, I think, to recognize that all of these theories besides scapegoat theory, all of these theories have mm -hmm. some aspect. So the way I described it was think of atonement as an umbrella. And Josh, I think you'll like this, but think of atonement as an umbrella, right? And underneath this umbrella are all these different little subcategories that the atonement has impact on, right? These are all different things like propitiation, uh, moral influence, for example. And I think the thing that really... The, People, so, and, and I'm going to talk against PSA for just a second, right? Well, then we'll come back to it. But for those who hold to PSA onlyism, right? Let's just call it that. Th mm -hmm. I can understand where you have a problem. I, I get it because this is one of those, those theories, these concepts that really don't. And I think, Will, that you had actually brought this out in your, may, maybe it was a, a, a different uh, theory, but I thought it was this one that it really doesn't deal with sin. It really doesn't deal with the propitiation or expiation aspect to the atonement, another one of those subcategories underneath the umbrella of atonement, right? And so I think if you're only looking at this, the atonement, this big umbrella, from just one aspect called PSA, I think that's where you can have an actual problem whenever it comes to the moral influence theory. Now, however, as somebody like me, I hold to all of these different theories. I think that there are elements of truth within all of them, besides scapegoat theory, 
But, but yes, he really um, doesn't like that theory. I guy. really I don't know don't. if y'all have picked up on that. I don't. I just don't like picturing Jesus as a victim. He said, "I lay down my life on my own, right, and I have the authority to take it back up." This is the command I received from my Father. Anyway, the point is, right? The point is, is that yes, I, I and and Matt Slick did a. Uh, I, I saw uh, an article that he had did about the moral influence theory from the CARM. Uh, on the Carm website, you and yeah, uh, and how I know, I know, and how he discusses about this concept about you know he brings up Romans eight where no one, no one, you know, or I'm sorry, Romans three where no one seeks after God, right? So how can they be influenced by the Holy Spirit? But here's the thing: put the unbelievers off to the side for just a second. We'll come back to them. How does that not influence Christians to do and follow in the steps of Jesus, right? Because if you're a good Calvinist, right, you have been changed by the Holy Spirit. You want now to do the things, the things you loved, or I'm sorry, the things you hated, the things you loved, you now hate, right? And the things that you used to hate, like God and all these different things, you now love and you want to be like him. So how in the world does the Holy Spirit not influence believers he does every single day, even from the Calvinistic perspective, right? I and mean, so from a Calvinistic perspective, you're you mm -hmm. know, you know, it's just the you're gonna like what you're pre-programmed to like. So <laughs> we can definitely get into that on another episode, brother. But actually, you know what? So I've got check this out. <laughs> Good so job. Good job. You'll like, you, Challenge well, him. <laughs> you'll like this, Will. No, no, no. You'll like this, Will. So we've actually got Chris Date and Tim Stratton coming on uh, October 21st to discuss Molinism and Calvinism. And in the deterministic model, Chris and how Date, those two. Chris Date's the only Calvinist I like. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fair. Oh man, so you don't like? I'm just gonna hop off here and just go away then forever. But who? Me, <laughs> Tyler you don't is like me. You said you were leaning that way. You didn't say you were committed. <laughs> no, no. Um, you didn't write books about it yet, but so he only dislikes part of you, Tyler. It's fine. Just the part of you that's leaning that way. He's like, just, okay, stop I'm touching that wall. Your, I'm just going to use your free will to change your mind. <laughs> so. Man, if you can control my free will, brother, like hats off. But anyway, I can't control your yet or hurrah, though. But we'll talk about that another time. Keep going. Okay, <laughs> off air, off air. <laughs> so. But you guys get the point that I'm making, right? Is that don't view these, and, and I think it's an error, and, and you guys can hit on this if you want to, but I think it's it's a fundamental error to only view the atonement from one lens. I, I think, like I said, there's elements of truth in all these theories, and we have to take that in consideration when discussing this big umbrella term we call atonement. Fair yeah, enough? I yep. mean, yeah, it's not monolithic. You know, exactly. It's not, yeah. Yeah, I pretty much uh, affirm all of them except for PSA and governmental and like half of scapegoat. But we'll talk about that. Okay, fair mm -hmm. enough. Anything else on more influence theory, guys, or do we want to go ahead and uh, transition into ransom? No, I was, you know, I was just gonna gonna say real quick before you do is that yeah, I yeah. think the moral influence provides uh, a reflective aspect to the atonement of what happens also when Christ, you know, uh, regenerates and and you know what he does to a sinner what you, you know you could see it in the people he touched even in his ministry mm -hmm. so yeah i mean that's where i would totally totally affirm that um and i think it goes deep and, and you know I, I just wanted to give a real quick uh summation of of that so yeah i think it, it's part of that reflective idea of trying to reflect uh the attitudes that he laid down in the sermon on the mount amen amen i agree i agree all right Ransom theory. So the ransom theory of the atonement is one of the first major theories for the atonement. 
It is often held alongside the moral influence theory and usually deals more with the actual death of Jesus Christ, what it actually means and the effect it has upon humanity. This theory finds its roots in the early church, particularly in origin from the third century. This theory essentially teaches that Jesus Christ died as a ransom sacrifice paid either to Satan, the most dominant view of the time, or to God the Father. Jesus' death then acts as a payment to satisfy the debt on the souls of the human race and the same debt we inherited from Adam's original sin. The ransom view could be summarized like this. Essentially, this theory claimed that Adam and Eve sold humanity over to the devil at the time of the fall. Hence, justice required that God pay the devil a ransom, for the devil did not realize that Christ could not be held in the bonds of death. Once the devil accepted Christ's death as a ransom, this theory concluded justice was satisfied and God was able to free us from Satan's grip. Redemption in this theory means to buy back and purchase the human race from the clutches of the devil. The main controversy here with this theory is the act of paying off the devil. Some have written that this is not a fair statement to say that all ransom theorists believe that the devil is paid, but rather in this act of ransom, Christ frees humanity from the bondage of sin and death. In this way, ransom relates to the Christus Victor theory, but it's worth differentiating here because in one way, these views are similar, but in another way, they are drastically, drastically different. And some of the biblical passage that people who hold the ransom theory use to justify this uh, concept is passages like Isaiah 51, 11, Matthew 20, 28, and confirm Mark 10, 45, uh, for that parallel passage, 1 Timothy 2.6, and 1 Peter 1.18. Will, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you because you do hold to aspects of the ransom theory, correct? I think the ransom theory is very close to being correct in many, 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 many ways. Okay. Um, but let's, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. So yeah. one of the biggest things that I hear, because when people hear, because I'm like, I affirm ransom theory. People are like, I, I all of a sudden was like, God, uh, Will believes that God owes the devil. It's Satanus Victor looking at you, R.C. Sproul. Um, so <laughs> the it, it's such a garbage uh, misrepresentation. Uh, so there's a few things about this. Uh, I, one of the temptations, it actually makes sense of Satan's actions during uh, the New Testament. Okay, so people seem to completely miss that. So why does Satan tempt Jesus? Everyone's like, well, because he wants him to fall. Well, okay, but why does he go, hey, these kingdoms which are handed over to me, which sounds like he owns them by right, right? You don't get something handed over to you and not own it by right, right? If I give you something, you own it by right. Um, that it was transferred to you, you now own it. So he owns the kingdoms of this world. We hear all the time, the God of this world, the principalities of the world. We hear that concept all the time, a world fallen. Now, you don't have to actually have to affirm Augustine's uh, original sin concept here, either like Augustine's version. All you have to do is believe that sin puts you in rebellion against God. So you can look at sin as a moral debt. So I go in moral debt to God and Satan is the debt collector, right? Think Narnia here, uh, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. We Now all these people are under the domain of the witch. Now are all of them evil? No, but the witch is still in power, right? So um, then what you have is, so he's like, all right, these, you know, why would he want him to bow down before him? Well, if he gets the Messiah to bow down, he gets to inherit, right? He gets to keep his kingdom. Because what was Jesus speaking? I bring the kingdom. The kingdom of God is a hand. The kingdom of heaven is a hand. This is the kingdom. I bring the kingdom. So this is such a big thing he's emphasizing. So that's like an eviction notice to Satan, right? 
So, mm-hmm. hey, man, here's my kingdom. So just all I have to do is bow before me. Tell me that's not like a trick in the garden, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, Jesus doesn't because he's God in the flesh. And I know the early church debated whether or not Satan knew uh, that Jesus was God in the flesh. I don't think he did. Um, I feel like his humanity masked that aspect of him, but I could be wrong, but that's just my view. But then what what happens? So now God knows this, right? He's omniscient. He knows this. He has plan- had this plan from the beginning. Um, so that's why he's like, my time has not yet come. And then Satan uh, enters Judas, right? And that's what, why G- and Jesus goes, what you're going to do, do quickly. Get it over with, right? And Satan enters Judas. Why? Because he's going to kill the Messiah. Now, hold on here. Everyone follow with me. Now, if you Hebrews 2.14 directly states, and see, I have references. Uh, Hebrews 2.14 directly states that death is the power of Satan. And a sin is the, uh, death is the wages of sin, right? The wages of sin is death. Wages is cost, okay? So the cost of sin is death. Death is the power of Satan because it was foreign to God's creation. You know, God is the God of life. Satan, it brings death. So if that's the case, who can, who does Satan have power of death over? Sinners. Mm -hmm. Jesus had not sinned. So though he has the right over death, he gets Jesus killed, but Jesus is perfect. Satan has no power over him to kill him, to make him taste death. So at that point, he sealed the deal, and that's when the final Adam came uh, came about. The first Adam was perfect, but fell into sin. The second Adam was recapitulated in Jesus Christ, which is recapitulation theory, and then Typology. he died. <laughs> exactly. And mm-hmm. then he dies, but because he ha- Satan has no rights over death over him, when Christ resurrects, he destroys Satan's power over death, which mm. is why he inherits this, the keys to death in Hades, because he descended into death in Hades. Um, not like actually burning in hell for three days, like some people seem to believe. That seems a little weird. Um, word but, of faith preachers? What? That's your word, uh, the word of faith preachers that teach that, correct? Mm-hmm. Or, okay. Yep, 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 yep. Okay. So, yeah, that's uh, that. And so, essentially, what it is, is it's not necessarily him paying off Satan. So, the, here's the problem people look at it as, Okay, God's paying off his, the, the moral debt to God. Okay, yeah. well, if you believe that, it's a little weird that God has to pay off his own debt instead of just forgiving you of the debt, as we see in the uh, in Matthew 18, right? Like, mm. Matthew 18, it's like, okay, for I, the master forgave him without cost, but then he punished him for demanding payment for someone else. So mm. it makes no sense that God pays off his own debt mm-hmm. um, because it's like, I, I know if someone's in debt to me, I can just go, hey, man, don't worry about it. <laughs> and God forbid I can do something that God can't, right? Mm-hmm. So then on top of that, uh, it does not necessarily mean that God paid him a, uh, paid Satan a ransom. Now, he handed his over his life. Satan believed he could kill him, right? That was the payment. I get to kill the Messiah. But he didn't have rights to because Jesus wasn't a sinner. So by doing that, he overstepped his bounds, and that's how the ransom was paid. Think of it like um, the way God ransomed, because it describes uh, the Exodus as a ransom from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Did Egypt actually receive a payment? Nope. No, they received judgment. They received some plagues. <laughs> yeah, and the firstborn were killed so God could save his firstborn Israel. Hmm. Well, likewise, we this gets recapitulated in the ransom theory because God pay, ransoms us from Satan by saving his creation from the one who corrupted his creation, okay? So you don't have to look at it as God paying off himself or God paying off the devil. It's the fact that he thought he get, that Satan thought he was going to basically uh, own it. Now, 
Augustine put it perfectly, um, and I'm going to paraphrase, okay, that God held the cross out essentially like a fisherman holds out a hook. Once he bites his teeth into it, he didn't realize that there was a hook connected to it. And so therefore, Satan was able to pour out the blood of Jesus, but he did not attain to drink it. In other words, he wasn't able to assert uh, Jesus's power or to uh, take over the creation. Instead, the blood poured out and purified sinners because Satan is the accuser, right? We see that in Revelation, Mm -hmm. he's the accuser. But once our sin is purified, he can't accuse. So it basically what it did is it took the rug right out from under Satan and going, what do you got? <laughs> mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, it's about Satanus Victor, I'm like, no, it's not. No. It's, it's, it's about Satan getting his absolute butt handed to him and, G- and God played the, Satan's game, right? Like he's like, all right, cool. You want to do this your way? You're still going to lose. <laughs> kind of like there's some trickery involved in there a little bit. See, people I was going to say, say instead of... Instead of ransom theory, it might be more uh, apt to call it bait and switch theory, <laughs> because really, I feel like um, if I'm following this as properly as I think I am, it was it was kind of like, um, you know, if the, it, let's say if we want to like, again, I'm using a visual. You want to sure. imagine the payment as like, oh, if you do this, I'll give you lunch. He didn't know that the lunch was going to be poison berries. He just agreed to a lunch, <laughs> right? And so Jesus used that death um, the same way that Goliath brought a sword to kill David and didn't realize that that sword was going to lop his own head off. Mm. Pretty much, yes. That would be using way death to, as that weapon. Yep. Yeah. And so a lot of people are like, "Oh, so trick So God's deceptive?" I'm like, "No, he never said one thing and did another. He literally <laughs> just right. He didn't do that. It was just like, okay, you know, mm. what you're going to do, do quickly." Right. <laughs> like you have no idea, you know, I go back, going back to Narnia, you know, don't say the deep magic to me, which I was there when it was written. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, I do believe that. And since it was so big in the early church, I mean, the earliest church has so much ransom theory sprinkled about. I don't yeah. think you could get rid of it wholeheartedly without being slightly disingenuous or at least say it's heresy. I think that's a little ridiculous. Right. Uh, when I hear that, I'm like, um, so the majority of the earliest church was her- her- heretics. Okay. <laughs> All right. Very cool. <laughs> right. Well, just to give some biblical examples, like I said, Matthew 20, 28. So the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, we have, let's see, first uh, Timothy two, five through six. Uh, for there's one God and one intermediary between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all, revealing God's purpose at his appointed time. And the final one that I have is 1 Peter 1.18. You know that from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, you were ransomed, not by perishable things like silver or gold, but by the precious blood like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, namely Christ. And so just a, I, I, if there's any, uh, do you know of any more uh, biblical passages that just kind of stand out or that kind of? Yeah, you were bought, normal? you were bought with a price. So honor God with your body. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. And it also took your place. You know, that, that lamb also took your place, you know, so. Yep. So um, also, uh, wait still says Satan is an angel sent by God to accomplish his purposes. See Job. Uh, that's not in Job. Um, well, so. well, you know what I was going to ask you, because. 
I think that kind of ties in. Um, I, I heard you say something earlier, and maybe I just misunderstood it, or it because I was trying to read the final point. <laughs> but uh, are you saying that Satan had the power over death at some time? Uh, Hebrews two fourteen says death is the power of Satan. So, um, so, but what about what about like all the verses throughout? Like, I mean, I'm looking at Job fourteen five, Acts seventeen twenty five through twenty six, Psalms one thirty nine sixteen. I could go on to like about you know, God having power over life and death. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. So that so it's either the Bible is contradicting itself. Mm. Or we have to misunderstand. We're, we have uh, to we have harmonize to, some way, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think this, the answer is relatively simple. Um, God is God, so of course he gives life where he gives life, and he can take death, take life where he sees it. But death was foreign to the creation before the fall. So death is the power of Satan. Satan brought death. Um, so you're saying you're saying that none of creation had death or entropy before the fall. Well, which, I did, not entropy. I, I, not entropy. Well, entropy, I, I, but, yeah, I mean, yeah. come on now. Not well, I'm talking about... Come well, on there's now. A, no, no, there's a difference. So, um, like, for example, skin cells having entropy, but they don't have consciousness. Um, it's not saying that there can't be no death whatsoever, but just that the tree of life sustained humankind, right? Absolutely agree. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. So, uh, so, but we were removed from the tree of life, lest we eat of it and become immortal. Right? right so that's well adam and e for i should say not we we weren't there um, right. but, um not unless you guys are really really old and looking really really good um so i have my uh, secrets no <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um that's so death is the power of satan because he brought death uh to mankind through temptation and sin so more like power from a I guess a symbolic way, right? Like s some weird aspect, like some way that we don't fully grasp. A I, cosmic I, I way. Uh, we're yeah, gonna a cosmic get that. way. Yeah, when we get that, yeah. we'll we'll talk more about that. That, that when we I can agree with. Yeah, I just Chris's wanted. Victor. Yeah, I really wanted you to clear that because yep. I think that would, you know, perfectly fair. Yeah, because I think that would really put people off, you know, if we just left it there. So thanks, thanks for clearing that up. Yep, yep. Want to make sure I yep. brought that. Yep. No worries. Absolutely. Thanks. And just just for those who don't have their Bible in front of them, I do have Hebrews 2.14 up. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he likewise shared in their humanity, so that through death he could destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and set free those who were held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death. Now, I don't know if you all know uh, Gareth Skytema. I know Josh does. He introduced me actually to him. But he has this really, really interesting theory. I wish he was on here right now to, to kind of discuss and elaborate on it. But about this whole concept of the... Uh, people's fear of death right and how that yeah. possibly is the thing that transferred you know down throughout the uh the um, generations of adam and so that's not actually necessarily... what i was going to bring up well go ahead um, josh I, you know was, you know I was, yeah well I, I mean it was it was the only reason they feared it is because it was always there tyler so the earth isn't young so well adam would have <laughs> i'm had not to getting off on that. On the <laughs> adam would have had to have some point of reference for that 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 warning but i mean in general when when the scriptures say that the fear of death is, let's say, what, what incites sin in the heart of men, right? And that would be similar to, like, um, uh, another visual in my mind. It would be kind of like Satan trying to use something like a, a spiritual date rape drug to try to get us to comply with his whim, right? And because of that influence in the fear of death, he held that like a club. He wielded it like a weapon against mankind who, who was falling into sin because of the way that Satan was wielding death as a weapon against them. And that 
that carried on through generations, but also um, kind of drawing back on the moral influence idea. Um, if you reverse engineered that, let's say, and you looked at it as a negative aspect, we do inherit much of our thinking, our habits, our understanding from those things that are around us and the people that are around us. I was born into a household full of fallen people and I learned most of my speaking habits, my thinking, things like that from fallen people around me. It mm -hmm. is di directly an inheritance in that way, but also the way that, um, you know, any one person who's a bad influence on me is going to die. Uh, and then they won't be an influence on me, except maybe in, it, through through my remembrance of them. Right. But Satan is ready to be present beyond that person's influence and wield death like a club against you and get you. And here's the thing. I, I think the merit to this is something that 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 I've I when I'm discipling, I, I warn against often. It's like in those moments where you've forgotten the future, you're going to blow it. And Satan really uses death. Like, 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 it's almost like a, a temporary delete button for the future. And you forget that in five minutes from now, you could resist that sin and you would be praising God that you got out of there because God's giving you the way out. He doesn't leave right. you in temptation. He'll always provide a way out. Right. And if you don't take that way out, it's usually in correlation with the times that you've forgotten the future. You forgot that there's somewhere you're going and that's out of your mind. And then it seems like right now is all you have. And so you act impulsively. And death kind of like the fear of death, I think, really brings impulsivity into to people. And that's kind of like the breeding ground for sin, let's say. Mm. Yeah. Right. You know, what so, I, I think uh, what I think, it, Josh, you just pointed out was something phenomenal. You kind of define the cosmic way without even trying to. And I know I was just teasing Tyler about the young earth and stuff. But like uh, uh, and I, I kind of redeem myself here because I know Tyler was like, <laughs> but no, um, seriously, you kind of defined it like. You know, yes, everything's in control. God has control of every single thing, right? But Satan uses death as an accuser would. He would use it as a bat. And you define that perfectly, Josh. And, you know, that's exactly what I was trying to get out with uh, with uh, Will here is is that cosmic way. And that's and I think that's pretty much I mean, that's the definition there, I think, is uh, I think you described it perfectly, Josh. Right. So again, the idea of ransom could also be, be meaning freed because even the word redeem, though, means bought by a ransom. So like we, yeah. we you can't get around it. Uh, it is what it is. But bought by bought with a price could be uh, multiple things. Like I said, does not necessarily mean God has to pay off a price because that's not what he did in Egypt. So um, but he did free them by procuring a ransom uh in egypt so um all right Fair so we should enough. probably talk about chris's victor let's uh, let's jump into it and just real quick before we jump into it uh, i just want to thank all of our listeners for liking subscribing i think we've gotten a couple subscribers a whole bunch of likes and loves and all that stuff and if you haven't yet if you like what we're talking about make sure you hit that thumbs up button hit the love button if you really really like it but no fake stuff like if you really don't like this just go away like no i'm just kidding stick around <laughs> Please stick around, but no, we don't want any uh, we don't want any false uh, false likes or anything like that. But uh, but if you do like us, if you want to support us, that is how you do it by clicking that thumbs up button. That does something with algorithms that I have no idea about, and apparently you got to get a whole lot of them to really make it work. So do it. But anyway, so let's jump into Christus Victor, shall Which we? Which is very closely related to ransom. So we'll it get is. There. 
it yep. is that I I noticed that whenever I was actually diving into this. So let's see here. We got uh, classically the Christus Victor theory of atonement is widely considered to be the dominant theory for most of the historical Christian church. In this theory, Jesus Christ dies in order to defeat the powers of evil, such as sin, death, and the devil, in order to free mankind from their bondage. Sounds kind of like the ransom theory. This is related to the ransom view, with the difference being that there is no payment to the devil or to God. Within the Christus Victor framework, the cross did not pay off anyone, but defeated evil, thereby setting the human race free. Uh, man, I clicked something. Gustav Allen. Yes. Gustav Allen argued that this theory for the atonement is the most consistently held theory for church history, especially in the early church up till the 12th century before Anselm's satisfaction theory came along. He writes that, quote, the work of Christ is first and foremost a victory over the powers which hold mankind in bondage, sin, death, and the devil, end quote. He calls this theory the classic theory of the atonement, while some will say that Christus Victor is compatible with other theories of the atonement, others argue that it is not. Though I have found the most uh, that most theologians believe that Christus Victor is true, even if it is not for them the primary theory of Christ's death. This is where I say hardcore Christus Victor. Yes, um, I am actually very okay. ardently Christus Victor. Um, actually, is my dominant view um if I, I like a lot of my framework works around that because that's what we see he destroyed this uh, he as he recapitulated adam right so he's adam uh, the final adam mm -hmm. he died he lives a perfect life where we could not he dies uh, as a perfect man resurrects and destroys death he has destroyed sin and now he has left satan entirely powerless his blood has cleansed his people so the accuser can no longer blood like you said bludgeoning or weaponizing death against them and um even though we live in a world still full of sin um even though we live in a world that's still sinful, he promises a new creation without the, the corruption of sin. And the corruption of sin is death. Mm -hmm. uh, even though God ha God can take away life, as we're seeing in the chat, um, yes, God can take away life. But remember, that was not part of God's original creation. That was something that Satan brought on. Um, so this is where I said that penal substitutionary atonement doesn't properly deal with uh, sin. Because mm -hmm. we only say that our, our sin was transferred to Jesus in penal substitution, and God satisfied his wrath by pouring it out on Jesus and killing him. But the issue with that is that actually uh, penal substitutionary gets it to juxtaposition to Chris's victor then, because Chris's victor doesn't just deal with a transferring of sin and destroying our personal sin. It deals with destroying all power of sin. The power mm. of death, the power of Satan, the power of corrupt, uh, of a corrupting, painful world, all of it completely destroyed. It is. So, um, and when we get to penal substitution, I'll talk about the issue with its legality views. Um, so this here takes a broader framework um, than just this narrow view of my personal sin transferred. It destroys all sin. Um, and then on top of that, it doesn't adequately deal with sin because it doesn't really deal with um why sin is necessarily there which is because of satan right so you have to destroy the power of satan over mankind because he is the father that our father the devil right we all right. know like there's the bible screams all these things um in the new testament so 
Uh, and this is the dominant theory. If you read Irenaeus, if you read a lot of the early church, they, this was like the thing they were hammering home, which is what blows me away when, again, I'm called a heretic for holding to these two views, which are clearly, very clearly placed as the earliest views of the faith. Um, yeah, it deals with, so I should say this, it deals with on a cosmic level. Um, it deals with God doing a full restoration of his creation, not just our personal sin, but restoring his personal creation back to its original state, which is mm. a new Jerusalem, you know, a new Jerusalem restored, a new creation restored. Every tear is wiped away. Mankind, all those who believe in him are blessed with eternal life. And because he resurrected over death, we get to partake in his resurrection and we get to defeat death just as he did. So it is all about Christ the victor. So I think we, uh, we sometimes miss that. There's actually a great song. Uh, um, I don't like a lot of modern songs because a lot of them are pretty shallow, but it says, in his spirit, I will rise. In his spirit, I will rise in the, uh, from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. And I'm mm -hmm. like, man, if I don't know a chorus that is more Christus Victor than that, like I just That's don't like it. <laughs> you know, it, you know, it's funny is that you talk about the newer songs, and I, I think because of the the view we have, uh, you know, I think I think truly, honestly, suffering brings out some of the most beautiful uh, songs to Christ that have ever existed. I mean, you you have like you know, Amazing Grace and and stuff like that. That is that is produced from a guy that, that just went through it all, you know, had no TV, had no cover. He couldn't walk up to, 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 <laughs> to Burger King and get a burger. You know, I mean, he didn't have a burger available right up the street. You know, he did, you know, a lot of people didn't have that, but you know, I, I did want to uh, recourse something and, and I keep hearing you say it and, and it kind of like, you know, I want to get your view and I'm not going to try to push back here or anything like this, but I do want to say I don't think that anything was I don't think God's trying to get back to the original here, like the original creation here, because the creation was just good. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't where it was supposed to be. I mean, God saw that man was lonely and that wasn't good. You know, uh, I don't think innocence was ever meant to to be what God wanted. I think that there is something more going on there. And I don't know if uh, if the rest of of the guys agree but like i think jesus was always the plan a i think redemption was always the plan a i think jesus had to come i think there had to be something there uh for us to understand uh and for us to be truly justified and glorified so i maybe you can you can reflect on that i, I don't know if, if you want to <laughs> But, I mean, well, no, no, try, he yeah. said he looked at his creation and said it was very tov. It was very good. And it's yeah. the same Hebrew word when he says, I am good. I am tov. Um, so when you look at that um, and he says, it is not good that man should be alone. So he made him not alone. He, he, made, he, he made it all good. So yeah. I, I don't and I don't think the redemption was ever part of his plan because that would also mean that he would have to be like, oh, yeah, I also want sin, death and, you know, murder and child rape to happen. Uh, that, that's not. God, because God hmm. is good, and we know what good is. Um, to say that God willed evil or something along that nature um, is to say that God willed good, God willed evil. But then, if He calls Himself good, can good will could good will evil? 
And if that's the case, when he says, be good as I am good, then why can't I will evil? Uh, it makes goodness a very strange, ambiguous concept. So I would I would take issue with that, but I think God made everything good. So therefore, even Adam, when he's like, it's not good that man is alone, so therefore I'll make a woman, is he's saying, like, I am making this good. I'm making this very good. So um, I just think we're but should seeing... he already have made it good? You know, shouldn't he have already done that? I told you I was going to push back. Anyways. No, no, that's fine. No, no, because... <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no worries. Josh uh, wants popcorn. On, on, day, <laughs> on day number two, when God said, uh, this is very good, um, does that mean that it day number five means it wasn't good? Like it wasn't as day five is more good now than day number two. He said each one of these was good. Right. So, it, just so there's because, probably something going, something bigger going on that I think we've missed. <laughs> or, he, or he's just declaring that everything that he creates is good, including it's bringing not man to help me. But no, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, we can get into that another time. Let's just stay yes. on a toe. Okay. Yeah, but you know what I mean. You, 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 there's there is something there. I, you know, I know I know what you mean, time. David. You're yeah. wrong, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, if I can if I can draw something. Else out of hold on, hold on, just saying, Josh. Say that again, Will. David what? is wrong. I'll say it. David is no, wrong. No, it wasn't as sweet as whenever he said it. So. <laughs> it's it like music to my ears. I was, I was like, I understand what you said, David. Even though you're wrong, David. Yes, I love it. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, you're welcome. I'm here, to, I, I, I'm here to serve. Paul would say the same thing, even though I call him a heretic, but it's okay. Go ahead, Josh. <laughs> um, I was, I was going to say, drawing something out of what, what David had mentioned, because it was actually the other day we were talking about Genesis, and I had brought up the fact that the first thing that God called not good was prior to the fall, and mm -hmm. he remedied it immediately. He did bring a, a, a greater thing out of it. And so I, I think that um, God, let's say that this, this can be a reflection on God's habit to take insufficiency and make it into perfection. Yeah, he keeps um, creating more and more good, like as throughout right. the entire Genesis. Uh, it's, right. it's very much a progression. Yeah. And I agree with you that 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 evil and death is in the world because of uh, uh, of a deviation from God rather than God's intent. I don't think that's God's intent, but I think that God knowing and using was his intent is, is a better way of looking at that. It's not that God was willing evil to exist because he wanted to fit in the cross somewhere, but that the cross was going to be the larger redemptive unity of all things to draw, let's say, to draw the poison out of creation that he understood would be there, um, not and, and not by necessity. I, I don't mean that, but but because of the because of the fact that humanity is free right and because of the fact that satan is fallen because of the like if, if you go through the the kind of like all of the, these these narrowing points that that we can say yeah that's true yeah that's true i think i think thinking about the the cross as a plan a wouldn't necessarily require that god intended sin but that god's intention can include things that he himself didn't let's say will for but can bring it that this is why I think where divine permission is something that determinism falls short on is that God didn't will, but can still use for that higher redemptive unity right. yeah. that he's going to put over. Thanks for the redemption, Josh. Thanks for the redemption. Cause that's exactly what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I kind of heard that, but it was, it was, it's just, it's weird. It's a weird idea to play with. Yeah, it because, is. And it really is. It's really hard to put into words too. And I, I think you did it better than me. So well, we should you. move on to probably satisfaction. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, this, I was just this all goes so deep, guys. Like, this this always goes so deep, man. It, it just it just that's the just shows 
Theology is a bunch of spider webs, man. It just goes everywhere. Um, so yeah, the satisfaction theory. Yeah. Tyler, take it away. <laughs> yes, sir. So in the 12th century, Anselm of Canterbury proposed a satisfaction theory for the atonement. In this theory, Jesus Christ's death is understood as a death to satisfy the justice of God. Satisfaction here means restitution, the mending of what was broken, and the paying back of a debt. In this theory, Anselm emphasizes the justice of God and claims that sin is an injustice that must be balanced. Anselm's satisfaction theory says essentially that Jesus Christ died in order to pay back the injustice of human sin and to satisfy the justice of God. This theory was developed in reaction to the historical dominance of the ransom theory that God paid the devil with Christ's death. Anselm saw that this theory was logically flawed because what does God owe Satan? Therefore, in contrast with the ransom theory, Anselm taught that that it is humanity who owes God or who owes a debt to God, not God to Satan. Our debt in this theory is that of injustice. Our injustices have stolen from the justice of God and therefore must be paid back. Satisfaction theory then postulates that Jesus Christ pays back God in his death on the cross to God. This is the first atonement theory to bring up the notion that God is acted upon by the atonement. For example, that Jesus satisfies God. So essentially, Jesus had to become a man because God needed something from man in order for him to forgive. And that's the, where the satisfaction and penal substitutionary part falls short, because it means that God, I must act. So God needed something from man in order to forgive, as opposed to freely forgiving. Mm. Um, also, you have to understand that Anselm is from a, was living in a feudal culture, which means it was very honor-based. So this whole idea was, oh, sin is offensive to God, which it is, and it dishonors God, which it does. However, he doesn't need recompense for that. He needs us repentance for that. Um, so the, the, I find the entire satisfaction theory bizarre. Um, because it just, it basically is, uh, now I get it, I, I get why he would have wanted to say God paid off Satan, but the problem is, is that God didn't owe Satan in ransom mm -hmm. theory, we owed Satan, like Satan owed us by right, and we were in debt, and God just paid off our debt. <laughs> so even if you're saying God paid off Satan, it's not because God was in debt to Satan, we're in debt, and he paid off our debt to Satan. So even if you're taking that view, it's not quite a representation. So this it's very strange to, for, to me, especially medieval theologians who are very big in divine simplicity. Find, I find it very strange that anyone would, maybe it's not fully medieval, but very early that, right? So that God is acted upon in the atonement. Like, oh, I can't do this until somebody dies here to satisfy my justice. I'm so enraged, I must punish somebody so this perfect person will have to do that I sent in my stead. I'm paying mm. off my own debt to myself. And that's where you get those weird views of like the, the atheist people who are like, I, uh, God, sends, God sent himself to die to himself so that way he could forget. And it's like, well, I see kind of why I, where that could cause issue. Mm -hmm. um, does that make sense? So Yeah, yeah. So I just had, so I'm glad you brought that up, Will. So let me just ask this. Why atonement at all? then if because and as josh sherman i think pointed out properly that not only does atonement involve forgiveness but it also involves cleansing yeah. right and so is that where the blood really comes into play then for you is that it's not as much to do with forgiveness as it is the actual cleansing of those sins 
Correct. Uh, it, okay. uh, in a Jewish mind, uh, blood is the um, is a cleansing agent. Think of it as soul bleach. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so uh, I'll jot that one down and steal it from you. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, so when he says, you know, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Um, mm. Is that's a cleansing aspect, right? Rem making them, I, making them remiss, making them gone. Um, so th this idea, yeah, we of course we are under sin, therefore we're under wrath because we sinned. Um, but that, uh, and of course we need forgiveness to be reconciled, but God tells us to freely forgive as he does. But the satisfaction theory and penal substitutionary theory shows that God can't freely forgive unless he is acted upon by a perfect man. So it, dude, these are the things that kept me up at night when I started, okay. when, when this started to fall apart, I was like, oh, oh, I think I I think I think I, I think I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I listened to, you know, your I think it was on the very first uh, and I know you had brought it out in other videos as well. But it was really the first video that you initially had said and, and had gave the analogy of humans yourself. I believe you used about forgiving and do I need uh, recompense in order to make that forgiveness even possible? Right. And no, we forgive freely. Right. Right. And so I, I, I hear where you're coming from on that. I really do. Because I um, can't if I can freely forgive without retribution, God should be able to do that. God, because we'd say, wow, Will, that is such a moral thing. You forgave them and they did nothing to mm. like try to make it like all they said was, I'm sorry. And you're and you're cool with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm from I, I was highly abused as a kid um, mm. and uh, I have a good relationship with my with my with my dad and whatnot now but yeah, yeah. i was abused uh, as a kid and for you know when that was cool i remember i, I had people be like you're still cool with them i'm like yes we i forgave them I'm like well how do you do that well because we look at this like that's such a high moral highness okay good let god have that same moral highness he we offend him with our sin yet he's able to freely forgive a repentant heart but mm -hmm. the problem is, even though we're repentant, we're still stained with sin and we're still under the power of the evil one. So that's why God has still sent Jesus to cleanse us of our sin and break the power of sin and death that Satan was hold, lording over us. So um, he's like, I can forgive you, but I still need to rescue you. But wouldn't that repentance, though, at the same time be something else instead of um, a substitute, for example, or, or a recompense? It's kind of like repentance is a recompense at that point. It, I mean, it makes salvation conditional, right? So if that's true, why is salvation conditional at all since salvation, <clears throat> excuse me, involves forgiveness, even though that's one just aspect of it? Does that make sense? Yeah, because uh, what Jesus, what God teaches is that forgiveness is only possible if someone is repentant. Uh, because how can you, right? Like you can't truly fully like just this idea of like, forgiveness is dealing with repentance, like someone who is sorry. Now you might be able to let go of it, but is the, like, okay, you have somebody who abused you, but no one ever said sorry, you never talked it out, you never worked it out. You're able to forgive them, but there's still that pang in your soul of what they did to you because there's not been reconciliation, because there's mm. no repentance. So though you forgave, you can't reconcile without that. Our repentance allows us to reconcile unto God and God to fully forgive and brings the, 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 idea, of, the idea of atonement is a bringing back together. And in order to have full atonement, I need to repent and I need to forgiveness. That's where I was misunderstanding you because I was so I had misunderstood. I thought you were just saying that, you know, I, well, I'll put it like this. I didn't 
view what you were saying with all of those other aspects. I was just hearing forgiveness and was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. But, wait, but no, wait, there's there something, is more there's to something. salvation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is more to salvation, though, than just forgiveness. Like I said just a second ago, mm -hmm. forgiveness is an aspect of salvation, right? So, so I'm not I, a universalist, I so yes. <laughs> no, I mean, I just logically, you know, no, but... Uh, no, no, I, I'm glad you <laughs> clarified because I know I, I'm... No uh, it's notorious. I always get clips of me saying things out of context and yeah. people like to run with them. And I'm like, oh, thanks for not including my, you know, 10 minutes of clarification. But sure, well, let's run with that one sentence. Thanks. Well, it, uh, I think it comes. Be <laughs> I think that comes from I, this is so multifaceted. It's like, how can you cover everything maybe in one blog? You know, how can you, you know cover everything you're trying to say in just a single sentence i mean there's just so exactly. much there exactly. I, yeah i hear you yeah yeah i hear you and, and, i did a nine part know, series yeah. on the atonement and i still felt like i didn't do it enough justice uh, dude you never do it, it, <laughs> i was writing on election and i'm like dude i can't describe this in 750 words in this essay there's no way yeah exactly you know, so yeah i hear yeah. you like, yeah so, should we jump to penal substitution next, oh, guys? Yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah we, where you're where you're wrong about, right? Yeah. <laughs> where you're wrong about. <laughs> well, so leading in then to penal substitution, I want to read Romans five nine real quick because I had this verse underneath the satisfaction theory because I thought it applied to it, but maybe it doesn't. And Will, I want to get your take on this verse. So Romans five nine says this, but much more than because we have now been justified by His blood we will be saved through him from God's wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more since we have been reconciled will we be saved by his life? Not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. And so just kind of to add what we was just saying, there is more than just forgiveness. There's justification whenever it comes to salvation. There's reconciliation whenever it comes to salvation. All of these different aspects play a, a, a bigger role, right? They're little pieces of the bigger puzzle whenever it comes to salvation as a whole, right? But Will, let me get your thoughts on Romans 5. Oh, goodness. Romans 5 is one of my favorite passages because I feel like half of everyone gets it wrong. Okay. Everyone's wrong. I'm always right. Um, so, <laughs> actually. Sounds like a guy we just interviewed not too long ago. Except now. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I miss her always right. Okay. So, um, now that we got that out of the way. I like that. Uh, <laughs> Tyler um, really likes it because you're, proving me, you're trying to prove me wrong. You know. So uh, the problem is with that it doesn't mention anything about uh, justice or uh, satisfy, satisfying God's justice at all. It says we're spare, it says we're saved from God's wrath, but that doesn't necess necessitate justice. A lot of people read that of Romans five nine and they see that we're saved, spared God's wrath. Well, of course we're spared God's wrath if we're reconciled unto Him because we have been cleansed by the blood. We're freed from the evil one and we participate in the resurrection. Uh, in fact, uh, it actually goes against, I think, uh, a lot of verses go against uh, penal substitution and satisfaction theory in general, because it says that we are, that there is wrath that is stored up, which implies it's not been poured out on anyone, let alone Jesus, um, and it's stored up, and that it is poured out at the end, at the judgment uh, the day that of his is, wrath has come, right? The day of his wrath has come. And you see all the bulls of wrath. There's like seven of them. I don't know if mm -hmm. you all read about it. <laughs> so um, I'm just being cheeky. But uh, that's kind of my kind of the that's idea cute. there where I'm like, I don't see how that 
is uh, that necessitates a satisfaction theory. I, I would, I think we'd need a verse more that speaks of God being satisfied, which there is uh, more of a passage on that in Isaiah 53, it mentions being satisfied, but we'll talk about that when we get into penal substitution. Fair enough. And with that being said, let us jump into penal substitution. So penal substitutionary atonement, PSA, is a development of the Reformation. The reformers, specifically Calvin and Luther, took Anselm's satisfaction theory and modified it slightly. They added a more legal or forensic framework into this notion of the cross as satisfaction. The result is that within penal substitution, Jesus Christ dies to satisfy God's wrath against human sin. Jesus is punished, penal, in the place of sinners, substitution, in order to justify or in order to satisfy the justice of God and the legal demand of God to punish sin. In the light of Jesus' death, God can now forgive the sinner because Jesus Christ has been punished in the place of the sinner, in this way, meeting the retributive requirements of God's justice. The legal balancing of the ledgers is at the heart of this theory which claims that Jesus died for legal satisfaction. It is also worth mentioning that in this theory, the notion of imputed righteousness is postulated. This theory of the atonement contrasts with Anselm's satisfaction theory in that God is not satisfied with the debt of justice being paid by Jesus, but that God is satisfied with punishing Jesus in the place of mankind. The notion that the cross acts upon God, conditioning him to forgiveness, originates from Anselm's theory, but here in the penal substitution, the, the means are different. This theory of the atonement is perhaps the most dominant today, especially among the Reformed and the Evangelical. Kill me. No, just kidding. I'm so <laughs> In the place of another? <laughs> so I wanted to make sure I mentioned this as well. Um, yep. And pa Father Patrick Henry Reardon has a great book on the incarnation with the atonement. I highly recommend it. But uh, I don't know if you know this, but like Jews, uh, Eastern Orthodox, and a lot of other groups find uh, the what is often called the Latin view or the Western view um, very strange of the atonement, which deals with the satisfaction theory and PSA. So what happened is that uh, the Eastern Church remained the same, but as the uh, Western world continued its development, we became far more legal. Hence, the feudal system would be God's dishonored. He needs to satisfy that because our laws need satisfaction. That that cultural part came in. Um, penal substitution, same thing. Now, let me ask to make sure I am uh, properly steel manning this because people say all the time that I don't properly represent this. But I think this is a fair representation. It's the way I've heard it explained a thousand times. It's the way I explained it a thousand times when I affirmed PSA three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so. You are guilty of sin, correct? Yes. Okay, so yep. God um, is going to punish you, right? You're under his wrath, right? And in order for him to forgive you, that wrath must be satisfied because that sin must be paid for, right? Mm -hmm. So then he's about ready to land the final blow, right? You're under wrath. And then comes along this guy named Jesus, and he goes, hey, hold up. I will take the sin debt that they owe you and you can pour your wrath out on me in their stead. And we go, that is beautiful. He, I don't deserve that. And it, you're right. Yeah, that's a very nice picture, right? It really is. Now, I want to re... Now, we all agree that the judge in this situation is a holy, perfect, and righteous judge, correct? Mm -hmm. The just, like, yeah. Right, he is completely He's just. just. Mm -hmm. So... As much as I say that is an act of love out of Jesus, right? Because there is no love greater than he who gives his life up for his friend. However, what does it say about the holiness and uh, justice of a judge who goes, oh, yeah, you know what? That'll do. 
yeah, I'll punish you as the innocent, and now the laws and legal ledger is balanced. No, the innocent being punished for the guilty does not balance legal ledgers. It imbalances them. So it turns God into going, it essentially means that it doesn't matter who is punished as long as someone is punished. So this also contradicts Ezekiel 18, which clearly makes out that the son will not be punished for the deeds of the father. The father will not be punished for the deeds of the son. So therefore, why is the son of God punished for the deeds of mankind? It seems to create a contradiction here. Also, it still is emphasizing that God's, God's justice and his wrath needs to be satisfied by mankind. So God needs something from man before he can act. And uh, I believe God can act. I don't believe he needs our permission. Um, so this here is, it creates a very strange thing. So I don't think it's a good theory. And because it also came out of the Reformation, there's also when we see Calvinism and everything else develop, I think it's just when we see new doctrines developed entirely. And here is the plain and honest truth. Uh, Tyler, I know you're leaning reformed, but I am not considering you uh, there right now. Um, Joshua and David, do you guys hold to limited atonement? No. 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 Okay. The debt. In a way. In a way. In a way. I, I got to say this in a way because I think that that God knows the beginning and the end. He knows exactly who's who's going to end up choosing freely. Him. I think there's only going to be so much people in the world. But he didn't you know? die. For, but he but didn't yes. die for a select but few. He right? does. He does. Yeah. He he opens the. He he provides a provision for all. Yes. So the thing is, the reformers knew that that there is a problem here with saying God satisfies His wrath, because if He satisfied His wrath, His wrath should be satisfied. Why is He pouring it out on people at the end? It's Why is satisfied. people still going to hell? Yeah, there's a lot of people still going to hell. So if it's satisfied, it's satisfied, right? So why are people still being punished? Why are still people under wrath? Um, and the reformers knew this. So what they did is they developed penal substitution to justify limited atonement because they said that God transferred all the sins of his elect and all the sins at all and poured out his wrath of on those sins on Jesus while leaving the other ones not satisfied or paid for. Mm-hmm. So it, it, penal substitutionary atonement, the dark truth of it for people who don't want to affirm limited atonement in the Calvinist sense is the fact that it was used to justify limited atonement. Mm -hmm. So that it creates a big problem as well. Also, it means that justice, just innocence being punished punitively for the guilty is somehow justice. And in any court system today, in any sense today, we say that's that's and injustice, right? If my if my wife cheated on me, she never would. My wife is the best person on planet Earth. And I instead beat my daughter. Better she, say that. <laughs> but like if I my wife cheated on me and I beat my daughter for it, they'd be like, well, somebody had to be punished for it. You'd be like, you are an abusive psychopath, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, my daughter is two years old. She's pretty innocent. Um, so... <laughs> let alone the son of God, holy and perfect, 100% man, 100% God. That's uh, that's a very much another injustice. And also, uh, I know Isaiah 53 comes up a lot, so I feel like I should address that now. Mm -hmm. um, Isaiah 53, you have to read it in context. One of the biggest problems is getting ripping the scales off, because we've always read it as God punishing. And this is where I said that scapegoat theory, it's like I affirm half of it. Um, but I think scapegoat focuses too much on the victimization of Jesus, so I don't like it. Yeah. So Tyler, you and I are friends there. <laughs> so um, 
But the thing is, is when you read Isaiah 53, it is one of three songs in Isaiah. And each song deals with a different part. And these are actually, when you read Isaiah 53, there are kings who are observing Israel. And they're going, um, we viewed him or we considered him struck down by God, bruised and afflicted. So they're talking about Israel here. Go, and remember, Isaiah is very poetic too. So if you take it too literally, you're, you're, you're going to get in some weird spots. But they're like, we, uh, we assumed they were. We asserted they were punished by God, stricken down and afflicted. They're talking about Israel here. Well, therefore, just like many of us, and Peter substitutionary makes the same mistake as the kings were in Isaiah 53, which is we viewed them, viewed him as struck down and afflicted by God, right? Because that's the whole thing. Here's, here's your king of the Jews. He, we're bringing to bear all his heresy. God is striking him down. But that's not what he's getting at. If you read Isaiah 53, and then it says, it was God's will to crush him. The Hebrew word crush comes with it uh, a humbling. That's another, uh, it's an idiomatic of being humbled. So it's God's will to humble him, which he poured himself, you know, he, he did not see, he poured, he emptied himself, right? So he humbled himself and he was killed. And that word crushed means either humbled oneself or killed. So just because God killed him doesn't mean God punished him. It was just God's will that he perish. Why? To reconcile his people to reconcile people unto him. It doesn't necessarily mean he punished Jesus, just that he paid the wages of sin. And this is the other problem. We look at death when it came in as a complete judgment of God. But God just said, if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. He doesn't say, I'm going to punish you with death. He more is like saying, hey, if you put your hand on the stove, you're going to burn your hand, right? This is a natural consequence of sin. Sin brings death. And now I have to separate fellowship with you because you are corrupted by it. Okay. Um, so, and then God uses, as we see throughout the Old Testament, God uses death as, uh, as, as a judgment, but it doesn't mean that death is only a judgment because <laughs> also it's in the power of the evil one. Right. So anyway, that's a lot to say there, but the point here is that it does create an issue with God needing to be acted on upon by man and he needed to be satisfied by mankind as if he's not complete within himself. He can't freely forgive unless he receives retribution. And when we read Isaiah 53, it says he bore our iniquities. When we hear bear, we always think transference because that's from uh, Augustinian original sin. And that's all, which also is what comes through Anselm and all these other things. But the problem is that again, it's a poetic book. So what are, is the way I bear your sin is that always meaning it was transferred? No, we're told to bear one another's burdens, which means to support one another and lift one another up, right? It means to offer up, to bear. Um, so when you understand that concept, you're like, well, that doesn't always mean transferring, unless when I bear your burden, your burden is transferred to me. But if you just had a miscarriage, if your wife had a miscarriage and I'm bearing your burden, doesn't mean suddenly I had a miscarriage, right? So bearing there doesn't mean the same thing. However, it means I am with you in your pain and I'm lifting you up in your pain. But also Jesus literally bore our iniquities or the iniquities of those in this passage because he was beaten and bruised and stricken. So with so if, if uh, Joshua, you seem like a very nice man. So if I were to attack you, rip out your beard and that dope mustache you have and the whole all that, and I just beat the snot out of you, you would literally, with every blow I'm hitting you, would be bearing my iniquity. Be with, with your, you know, with your body, I would, you'd be burying my iniquity quite literally being beaten. Um, so you'd have the bruises of my iniquities on you. 
Um, so that is what Isaiah 53 is going at. Then it says at the end, toward the end, it says that, and he basically, there is the light and that he was satisfied. And people go, see, there it is, satisfaction. But if you read it within context, it's really like after he completes his job, he walks back kind of similar like how when you finish a project, you go, whew, I'm satisfied. I'm glad I did that. And that's kind of the idea. And then I know what's coming next. So then I, let me finish here and then y'all can just bury me. The other part is, uh, he says, uh, of course, Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? But he's quoting Psalm 22. And it says, starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then he goes on to say, I am surrounded by enemies. I've been attacked by my enemies. These people have destroyed me and beaten me down. It's not God forsaking him. He's feel, it's this whole, why have you forsaken me? But then he goes on, but God, you are always here. You are with me and you'll restore me and you will build me up. So he's not the forsaken savior. The whole point is, why have you forsaken me by being beaten by these men? It's actually because you're going to rescue me. So he's the unforsaken savior. He was pointing to Psalm 22. God never forsook him because that would mean that there's a breaking in the Trinity, right? To pour the sin out on one, on the man and forsake him literally would mean that there's a break. God separated himself from himself. I, oh, but he's it, eternal fellowship from eternity past. That doesn't make sense. So these are these are a lot of the issues that come up with penal substitution. And I don't think anyone's crazy if they reach the conclusion that I did, which is just penal substitutionary atonement is just reformed dogma to justify reformed uh, soteriology. Um, and I think ransom theory, Christus Victor recapitulation and moral influence are definitely more uh, up there on X on a uh, uh, <clears throat> yes, accuracy. So yeah, it creates a lot of Christological issues as well. Gotcha. So and it's almost sounds like you're saying, unless I just totally misunderstood you, Will, it sound almost sounds like you're saying there is a sense in which substitutionary, maybe not penal substitutionary, but there's a sense in which Christ did take our place. Right. The righteous right? for the unrighteous. Correct. Okay. Yeah. But, can I, can I say one more thing? I got. I actually have to hop yeah. off here. I love you yeah, guys. Go ahead, Fantastic conversation. Mm -hmm. But before I go, what you just said, Tyler, is I think crucial. Substitution doesn't necessarily have to mean that Christ took took what I had or took what was coming to me, but rather that he's a representation. Like he was saying before, there's a difference between being uh, in the place of as a substitution penally, as in he becomes a criminal in my stead, whereas he's representation of me as a mediation rather than as the criminal. I think that would be the distinction. Uh, right, you can correct I, that, me if I'm wrong. But no, no, I, that is I, a, yeah, that's a great distinction. I think. That is okay. absolutely true. Um, okay, one of the cool. Then I, I guess I'm following. But I, I do have to hop off of here. Love you guys. This was a fantastic show. Great conversation. Too, I can't wait to listen to the rest. Uh, but I got to get going. Love you. It's great meeting right. you, Will. Yeah, I, nice I will have too, much man. more we'll to have say to, with you. <laughs> we'll have we'll have to uh, have you on sometime. We have more discussions. It'll be fun. Or PM me. It's or DM. That's what they call it now. All right, mm -hmm. man. Have a good night. Um, love you, Josh. You guys. I love you. Real buddy. quick, and also just because you die for someone does not necessarily mean you took their punishment, right? right. Mm. Um, I can die for yeah. someone without taking their taking a retributive justice or something. Um, or say, uh, uh, my friend Jordan um, with not a tame sheep theology, he um, he puts it this way. Uh, and I think it's a good way to put it. I can say, hey, babe, I bought you flowers. Mm. Or I could say, hey, babe, I went to the market and bought flowers in your place. And then it's like, what? Why would you? What? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that? No, no, I did this for you because I love 
you because yeah. we forget that because i think reformed theology wants to make uh like mankind out like we're the most sinful horrible things we don't deserve anything at all but it's like we it all, you also forget the fact that we're image bearers god's creation that god loves his creation and he's willing to do anything for his creation because he made them in his image and he loves us mm. so um however uh he also made gave mankind freedom um because freedom is good and that is but anyway i won't get on that tangent no, so. i agree with you there <laughs> um, i'm right whoa <laughs> <laughs> dang it tyler's like shut up <laughs> no nah, i'm just thinking about all of a sudden it's, it's I think, really good it's been really good well it, i think a lot of the concept it comes from you know why reformed you know theologians make that connection right is because of romans 6 right the wages of sin is death therefore it seems like the logical implication of jesus if you're thinking at this like i said if you're viewing this from the lenses of the you know penal substitutionary atonement well the wages of sin is death jesus died in our place who pair right in behalf of us the substitution mm -hmm. then it makes sense it, right. like you said and i think you uh i think you nailed it whenever you said you know logically that there's really no holes whenever it comes to penal substitutionary atonement it logically is consistent with itself right and i think that's where the uh the the pushback would come from you know from mm -hmm. from reform i'm, I'm not going to push back at all you know we, like i told you like we are trying to unify people right that is our goal is to unify christians right period well, in the subject absolutely and i mean tulip yeah. is consistent within itself Exactly. I think I think Tulip is absolutely incorrect, mm -hmm. um, and I find it almost borderline offensive. Um, mm -hmm. But and I think it creates a lot of problems. But it is internally consistent. Penal right. substitution is, except for the part where I don't know how someone can get around the fact that if God's perfectly just, that He punishes innocence instead of the guilty. I think that is a giant punch hole in the middle of PSA that truly needs to either be dealt with or just have abandoned the doctrine and modify. Mm -hmm. um, that's why a lot of people, I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't hold a penal substitutionary atonement because I don't believe, to believe Jesus was punished by God, but I do believe in a substitutionary atonement, as David was saying, that mm -hmm. uh, he that there was a substitute of some sort. Um, and I, 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 I even stay away from substitution language, uh, mainly because of how the confusion that easily takes place because mm -hmm. of how the baggage here. So a lot of times I'll say there's there was an exchange, you know, um, and then people, and that kind of gets rid of some of that baggage. Uh, but yeah, I think a, a lot of uh, like, what the baggage is is that we become monolithic mm -hmm. we really do and like you said even words can get confusing at that time you right. know once that happens i mean I, I mean i you know coming at this now from a greek student perspective because you know i don't i'm in second year greek now and i'm i'm going through dan wallace's grammar and he's got this big write-up on the preposition who pair right and the one passage that i think all ultimately every single person uh would have to say right there's this substitutionary sense whenever it comes to this preposition who pair is in second corinthians 5 14. now here's the issue here's the issue and it's going to cause a problem for the reform folks right because here's the thing check the verse out for the love of christ controls us since we have concluded this that christ died for or who pair in behalf of all therefore all have died and he died for all so that all who live should no longer live for themselves but for them but for him who died for them and was raised and so all of who right is it the whole you know we go back to the whole um everybody without exception or everybody without distinction argument which is irrelevant i think whenever it comes to this because if wallace is correct and there's this substitutionary sense that's that 
absolutely every Greek scholar would agree on at this point, right? Then you have to do something with the fact that it's not qualified. It doesn't say all without exception or all without distinction. It just says all. So in there's some sense, and I like what you're saying, Will, there is some sense in which Christ was a substitute for all. Now, how that all works, I'm, there's a lot of people a lot smarter than me that can figure that out, and maybe even not because we're still arguing and debate about it today. But at the <laughs> same time, thousand years going, keep it, bro. we're keeping a Christian tradition, man. Keep arguing. You know, um, exactly. But you get my it. point. Yeah, no, and one thing I wanted to make sure I mentioned, because you mentioned Greek, and I was like, I didn't mention Hilasmos. Yeah, um, propitiation expiation. Yes. I was going to ask you about that. Yes, uh, and I'm like, that is a, obviously, if somebody, if I don't address that, there's going to be a gigantic hole in yes. my argument. Right. So here's the issue. So when you read, and anyone's going to do this, so they're going to be like, what about propitiation? They'll look it up and like, yeah, it means like to bring together the mercy seat, reconcile or satisfaction of wrath, right? Yep. Um, and so everyone's like, there you go. So satisfaction of wrath, bada, bada bing, bada boom, done. Um, and as much as I sympathize with that, because again, the bricks. <laughs> yep, yeah. I, I, I held to PSA, okay? Uh, so people get mad at me on this. It sounds like you did, brother. I'll just say that. It sounds like you uh, did. Dude, I appreciate, actually, uh, I'm going to do my uh, uh, Will Hess debunk uh video i'm gonna debunk myself it's gonna be oh, fun uh, fair enough. My, one of my earlier episodes i'm gonna debunk myself it's gonna be fun um but and you'll be wrong one of those guys in that video is gonna be wrong <laughs> um so but um propitiation so yeah um it's the word for mercy seat so we see that word in hebrews continually uh halasmos as um PSA do be based though. Sorry, Andrew does apologetics. That's funny. Um, so this is just something I like you, by the way. Uh, keep doing your work. But anyway, um, so Halasmos doesn't necessarily always mean satisfaction of wrath when he's our propitiation. Now remember who is writing this stuff. First century Jews and believers. That's the New Testament, right? Really, the only Gentile writer we we have is like Luke. Because Hebrews seems like it was written by a very well-informed Jewish person. Mm. Um, so They did know their Old Testament, that's for sure. Right. So this is, um, so when we're doing this, so what was the Hebrew definition? Well, if you go back to the mercy seat and the idea of atonement in the Torah, and you look at the Hebrew word there, it does not carry with it the idea of satisfaction of wrath at all. So when Jew, but yet when Jews are speaking Greek because they're Hellenized, what word are they going to use? Well, they're going to use halasmos because that is their word. But doesn't mean that there's not baggage with it, right? That it can't mean other things. Halasmos can't. So when I'm over here speaking, um, so when I like, like I say, I got a raise as a consequence of me doing hard work. Now, in that sense, you go, wow, good job. Well, you did hard work. However, consequence usually has a negative connotation, right? Like usually we think of consequences as not a good thing. Yeah. So same thing with halasmos. So halasmos also has this baggage of it, meaning, hey, Satisfaction of wrath, but also can mean mercy seat or atonement or reconciliation. If they didn't use it that way in the Hebrew Bible, then when we get to Jewish writers in the New Testament and then suddenly we start making it mean satisfy wrath, we're kind of inserting something from the culture. And what is the culture? Greek and Roman. And they actually believed that their sacrifice, and this is where things get spicy. Now, now Andrew does apologetic. I'm going to get based for a minute. Uh, <laughs> this is why I will, with some tongue-in-cheek, call it pagan substitutionary atonement. Because the pagans believe that you sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of their deity. Right? I'm going to make this human sacrifice or whatever right. sacrifice. Hopefully it satisfies Poseidon so he doesn't destroy my trade ships on, across the Mediterranean Sea. 
So this idea of satisfaction of wrath through sacrifice and satisfied wrath is really a Greek and Roman concept or a pagan concept. So when we read that word, we have to be careful. Am I reading into it more like that definition or am I reading into a Hebrew definition? And we see the Hebrew definition used in the actual book of Hebrews referring to it as the mercy seat, which is where the blood would be sprinkled to purify after the sacrifice. So gotcha. we have to, so when you're, if you're, so, uh, and actually if you read the Odyssey, um, uh, Homer's Odyssey, there are actually a few examples of the of the word halasmos coming up to satisfy a various deity's wrath, but also one uh, it's also used at, at a time to mean to, that they reconciled. So it doesn't exclusively mean that. So when the Bible is using it, I believe it's using Hebrew definition because I believe we're talking about a Hebrew belief system, right, of the yep. Messiah and the mercy seat and how atonement works because Jesus is the recapitulation of the Torah. So. There we go. No, I see what you're saying, because we see it all, you know, throughout the Old Testament. I mean, we've got, you know, those who followed Baal, to, or, or I'm sorry, not Baal, but, uh, Molech, throwing their children in the fire. And what does God say, right? This never entered my mind. This, this mm -hmm. I never commanded you to do this, nor did it ever enter my mind. And we see that concept. So this is going on way before Greeks and Romans, right? Like this is, I mean, just way before that. But but regardless, I, I hear what you're saying, Will. And I will say this, brother, you have definitely given me a lot to think about. You know, I know I was kind of tongue in cheek earlier about uh, about giving you some things to think about. Brother, you gave me <laughs> some things to think about tonight, uh, uh, for real. And so even though would, he's wrong. Well, <laughs> here's the thing, David, we already we already said you are wrong. OK, <laughs> you're wrong. Everyone else is right. We're flo That's floating it. by and our ships of right. You're you know, drowning hey, in your sea of wrong. Coming up in 2023, as as David versus Will. Look, y'all, we're going to get a debate. Set awesome, up. man. Hey, look, this was awesome, man. Uh, Will, I mean, you did give us a lot to think about. You know, I mean, you even expanded us, you know, some aspects into my thinking as well. You know, I, I could sit here and I'm, I'm thinking it. And you brought up the Odyssey, and I was just like, you know what? He's right. He, I never even thought of that. But you know, what was really bothering me the whole time as you started petting those dogs. Do you have two? No, this is just one. And she's just one. She's on crack. I have two dogs, but one's not in here. This is River, named after River Song from Doctor Who. And that's she... a full Siberian Husky. Yep. And so I we've got two Husky Shepherd mixes. Oh. And uh, how long hair. did it take you to get them potty trained? Um, took her about eight months. Took the bo the oh. male two weeks. Oh my gosh! So we've got uh, we've got some Husky Shepherd mixes. And we're on five months, and they're already over fifty pounds. Wow. So yeah, I'm thinking yeah, they're going to be that. eighty. I've got them escaping from the yard. I just brought the, bought the uh, the uh, humane type of electric collar. Oh, dude, to, mess uh, message me. I will give you all the tips because everything you're saying, I've already been through. Okay, they're nuts. I will definitely do it. They are nuts, man. Uh, I, I mean, we have chewed coffee bar and everything. Else. Uh huh. They're, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're crazy. Dante and River, I love them, but good grief, they're nuts. So yeah. Yeah. yeah but um, no. And so yeah. and keep in mind, guys. Like I don't change positions lightheartedly. My my best friend uh, Andrew, all well, my other best friend, uh, Brian, my co-host, and my best friend Andrew as well. Uh, he jokes around that I change positions every two weeks. He just cracks jokes about it. But I don't change positions lightheartedly. Uh, so I do a lot of study, and I need to make sure it is airtight before I do. 
Um, and I think logically, I'm brutally honest on my positions. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like, if I change the position, especially if it's against the mainstream, so I literally was told, well, you will, uh, by one guy and an old network I used to be part of was like, well, will you just do this just to be uh, edgy and different? I'm like, no, dude, it's just literally I study and I start realizing that some of these things don't hold up as well as I thought they did. Yeah, um, absolutely, dude. I, I hear you. I mean, I've been in this now for 20 years and it's like, it's literally like, you know, if you don't change some positions, then you're not doing something right because you're not just going to get it in a whim, you know, it, you know, there's a progression, there's a discovery and God puts you on a path of discovery for a reason. Exactly. And yeah, you know, and I hear you, bro. I, I can totally relate. And yeah, man, I mean, even though we might vary, you know, we might differ very, you know, a little bit here and there. I think I'm, I'm with you on a lot of this stuff, man. I, I, I don't think you've been monolithic. I think you've described very various aspects where you're like, yeah, I think this is right here. And I think this, and that's kind of the same thing I do. Well, that's what we should do, right? Because if you just exactly. take something hook, line, and sinker, you're just yeah. being a you're you're just being a sheep, right? <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. And also, bro. Johnny F in the comments, uh, you be based, and I love you because you're saying everything that I would say right there. So thank you. Anyway, sorry. Uh, See, just some guy uh, echoing some of the points I would make. So very good. But yeah, I, I'm glad this was helpful. I hope this was beneficial. Um, there's more we could talk about. Maybe we could do a part two because yeah, um, we're Definitely. at, you know, we're already at two hours. So uh, right. yeah. So, um, but yeah, guys, that's my, those are my views. Uh, I feel like the governmental theory and the scapegoat theory, once you take all the information we've already dealt with, you can kind of see where the strengths and weaknesses are of them. Um, but that's just me. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Also, would you guys mind if I, uh, in a couple of weeks, ripped this video off of your channel and posted it on mine so we could try to get now more? You can do it as soon as of course, can, brother. Of course, Sweet. this is your this is your content just as much as it is ours. So right back at you. Do the same yeah. when we have you on. So absolutely, absolutely, brother. Tyler, I just I will say this. So I hope what we did. So very first and foremost, will thank you for coming on. It's a, been an absolute pleasure and an honor right to back talk at to you. you and to host you bro i mean so much I, fun I, it, it was it was i thought this would be fun and brother you did not disappoint whatsoever but the thing that i hope we accomplished in, in in all of this is that if you came into this with one dead set view of the atonement and you completely dismissed all the other ones i hope we gave you something to think about because Amen. again i hold to a multifaceted view of the atonement i i think i i really think i'm right and i hope i hope you guys agree with me that atonement is an umbrella and man and all of these there's different aspects that go into that big umbrella that we hit on tonight and we didn't hit on everything with this could go for another three hours probably mm -hmm. but at the same time we did bring out i think the uh, primary things that uh there's definitely different subcategories and everything else that goes into that but um but i hope we got you to think about possibly because here's the thing and will you pointed this out in your first video that even if we don't know it if we would take just five seconds maybe five minutes to think about it we could agree with things like the moral you know the moral theory and the ransom theory even at some points and definitely Christus victor right christ Amen. has yep. has completely destroyed the works of the devil bam that's Christus victor and so with all that being said i i have closed I've closed out this show so many times. I'm actually going to let David do it tonight. But, Will, I love you, man. And it's right been back at you. a pleasure and an honor. 
It's been so much fun. Uh, I love it when I get co- have natural camaraderie with with people who have me on, uh, have us on. So yes. it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, well, well, yeah, you know, and it's great. You know, I, I I loved having you on, man. I mean, we went through so much, man, and even you answered some questions that I had, and and you know, I, I'm glad I proved you wrong overall. But you know, <laughs> no, it was great, guys. You, you know, I, this is a lot. This is great fellowship. This is great fellowship, you know. I mean, we can just connect like this, brothers in Christ, that would never have known each other if we were, if there was no internet. You know, we probably would have never have met. You know, uh, you know. But just guys, at, at the end of the show, I just want everybody to to realize: yes, there are differing viewpoints, but I think Tyler said it right when he said, "It's an umbrella. Look at it as an umbrella. Take the different aspects." Do the study. Show yourself approved. Do the study. You know, um, come to your own position. Maybe you can teach me and Will and Tyler something. You know, um, oh, you can come definitely on teach me show. something. I'm like a master yeah. at like a very few topics. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I tell you, and that's the thing is like you try to learn all these things, but you only get pretty good at a few. You know, <laughs> and that's exactly. that's kind of like how it goes. But you know. Everybody, as tonight, I mean, we're already at the two-hour mark. We're gonna we're gonna get off here and spend time with our wives and our kids and and our dogs. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, as Tyler says, everybody, till next time, you know, stay like Christ and you know, impact the world as you as God leads you. All right, take Amen. care, guys. Bye bye. Take care. <laughs>